does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Kevin, the only problem with you giving me a ride this morning is uh, we've talked about everything, right? Yeah, I know. I'm kind of sitting here being like, well, this will be three hours of twiddling my thumbs. <laughs> we've we've already covered all the bases. We're like, well, now what? You know, I did appreciate you in the front seat and thought to myself, this is good because there are a lot of wet leaves on the ground. And so I'm glad that I have Aquarian influence. That is correct. Right yes. beside me just to, you know, make sure 10 and 2 on the wheel. <laughs> My mom would be thrilled to know that you thought of that, right? Yes, Karen Query was on my mind as I drove to pick you up. Yeah, you uh, you look like uh, you did a nice job. You know, you kind of got out in the street a little bit. You made sure that you were waving to me, kind of flagging me down as I came down Washington. So very prompt on time. And uh, yeah, no, no hiccups on the drive-in. Yeah, so uh, my buddy Darren King is working on my car. So I dropped it off last night and said, hey, give me a ride. Uh, and here we are, but there's still plenty to talk about. And, you know, you and I were just kind of talking about it on the way in, Kevin, and we'll get into a lot of this over the course of the morning and kind of turn the page maybe on this storyline, even though obviously it's going to be a big one for the for the year. But uh, if you're Nick Foles, are, are you waking up like, what am I doing here? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you probably are. Um, and honestly, I think Matt Ryan has a little bit of that feel, but Foles for sure in that. You know, he felt like this would be his timeline would align with Matt Ryan's timeline, and that he'd be the backup and a playoff team that might have Ryan out for a week or two, uh, which could be the case here injury wise based off his shoulder rehab. That this would be the time for Nick Foles. You know, plug him in, and you're uh, what a game back in the division right now. That like everything on paper screams like Nick Foles for this situation. But the owner wants to see the young guy. And again, I, I love that approach. But Nick Foles has got to be like, man, um, so much for me playing. But I'll probably happily collect, what, $7.5 over two years to I mean, hold the Microsoft Surface. Nick Foles probably has the better chance of returning next year than Matt Ryan, right? Oh, I think there's a better chance Nick Foles takes a snap for the Colts again than Matt Ryan. Which leads to this point. Uh, and by the way, good morning to you. That is Kevin Bowen. My name is Jake Query. Mark Dykton is here as well. It is Kevin and Query on 93.5, 107.5. The fan on a Wednesday. A little bit rainy this morning, but a little, hope, mist. Uh, little misty. That's a good way of saying it. Stephen Holder going to join us at 8 o'clock, an hour from now. We'll talk more, obviously, on this cold story. Dustin Dopirak will join us also to talk Indiana athletics, both football and basketball. But... Kevin, um, interesting story that came out last night, and you wonder how much of this is a factor, and I'm talking about the contractual obligations to Matt Ryan from a salary standpoint if he is missing games due to injury after a certain date. He is entitled to a larger chunk of money. Do you think that that comes in any way, shape, or form into play on the timing of the decision to go ahead and remove him as the starter. I, I don't think it maybe was weighing too much on the Colts' minds, but I think moving forward it's something that you have to 
acknowledge. Matt Ryan already has $12 million guaranteed for next season. There's no way out of that. Uh, but Pro Football Talk put out a nice piece yesterday kind of detailing the financials if you were to get back on the field and get hurt. Um, basically, Ryan has a little bit over $7 million in additional salary next year guaranteed for injury and a roster bonus of $10 million guaranteed for injury. So you add that up. A little north of $17 million that the Colts would owe Ryan, along with the 12 he's already guaranteed, if he comes out of this 2022 season with an injury that prevents him from passing a physical next March. So I don't think this injury would prevent him from passing a physical in March, but all of a sudden, Jake, if he gets back in the lineup and gets hurt even more, now you're looking at $17 million that you owe Ryan. And I thought one of the best things with the Carson Wentz trade, Jake, was you had Washington eat his contract. You know, you want to make sure, I think, in this Ryan situation that you've told him no. As soon as you tell him no, I don't think you are bringing him back on the field. And the financials, they drive that point home a little bit more. I would not be playing Matt Ryan again if I were Jim Mercer, Chris Ballard, or Frank Reich. If I'm Matt Ryan, and I know this is apples and oranges, and I'm prepared for people to yell at me that it's apples and oranges, I totally get it in terms of the history, the marriage, what they mean to the franchise, the, what they went through. I, I get it. But if I'm Matt Ryan, and maybe Matt Ryan is the one who becomes the victim of learning from your errors, but if I'm Matt Ryan, I'm thinking to myself, so basically they're shelving me or not giving me a chance to get back out there to save themselves $17 million, but they paid Andrew Luck $25 million as a thank you for retiring. Yeah, and if I were the Colts, I would counter and say, um, don't lead the NFL in interceptions and fumbles. Again, I totally get it. Yeah. Apples and oranges, right? Sure. I, I, I understand where you're coming from with that. It's weird. I mean, it's awkward. You and I were chatting. I mean, Nick Foles and Matt Ryan live very close to each other. You imagine them just a little stogie on a Friday night coming up here this week or having a beer out on their patio thinking, what the hell is this? (laughs) Sam Ellinger, guy who's never thrown a pass in the NFL, is above us in the depth chart. Yeah, I mean, you know. A bit humbling. Particularly for Ryan. Ryan's never been benched. First time he's ever been benched in his NFL career. 15 years. Moved his family here and everything. Oh, I mean, he was all in, right? I mean, And the other thing, if Matt Ryan turned out, you know, if they, the shoulder injury, you know, maybe they did him no favors by announcing the shoulder injury. Because did that diminish other teams now taking a look at him, even though it was pretty obvious? I know. You know, the NFL trade deadline's Tuesday, Jake. You obviously have to find a willing trade partner, but I think it would be a mistake as if... Are you back on Wednesday? Wednesday, your first Uh, show? Thursday. Thursday? Yeah. So as Mark and I do the show next Wednesday, it would be a mistake if Matt Ryan and Nick Foles are still on this football team. Yeah, the question is, though, in day three pick, I don't care what it is, move on, add the draft capital for next year. There's no need to have Matt Ryan and or Nick Foles as your number three QB. 
you never wish for injury, so take this as you know almost a euphemism. The Colts should be hoping this weekend that a 500 or above team has a quarterback that suffers a four to six week injury, and they need somebody that can come in and keep the ship afloat for a month. Yeah, do the 49ers play this weekend? You would want Jimmy Garoppolo to get hurt, as bad as that sounds. That that's a that's a really good because it would have to be a team where the quarterback is not the one. Like it, it Kansas City is not going to sustain at the same level with anybody but Patrick Mahomes quarterbacking that team, right? Josh Allen probably brings to Buffalo something that, that nobody else can just come in and do. But Jimmy G, who, who I actually like, but uh, Kirk Cousins, you know Minnesota. Minnesota's having a good year. Nobody talks about it. If Kirk Cousins got hurt for three to four weeks, does Minnesota say, you know what, we're in the thick, we're leading the division, let's go out and get a Matt Ryan to sustain us for a month? Somebody like that. You would almost, but, but the time's ticking, right? Uh, the Colts signed a punter yesterday, Jake. Noah Cooney is his name. Mm-hmm. You familiar with Noah at all? I am. Uh, it was he was good yesterday because it was raining. They didn't know how long it was going to rain for, right? As soon as I said that, I was like, "Here comes the arc joke." <laughs> no, I like his animal up at fifty six in Emerson. He's got an animal hospital. That's nice, right? Buddy of mine used to always go to that aquarium store at fifty six in Keystone. Uh, that was at fifty six in Keystone. There is, in fact, an aquarium store. Do you know the significance of that building to Indianapolis lore? I know across the street he's got great wings at KSR. KSR has fabulous wings. That is correct. Uh, I, I do not know. The aquarium store is the original, originally in that location was Joe Letterman's floral shop. He had a son named David, went to Broadway, really? made a name for himself. Yep. That is Dave Letterman's dad's flower shop. Interesting. What is now the aquarium. Um, but I digress. So the Colts... Signing a punter, question punter is to then the practice squad. But if they elevate him, then so yeah, some competition. Mm. Noah Cooney's never punted in the NFL, so you could have a guy that's never played or never thrown a pass. I should say we, Ellinger's played, and then a punter that's never punted. Can we guess the the new punter's school? Sure, uh, Mark. Jeez. Uh, Saints and Cardinals is where know, he. <clears throat> excuse me. Do you know Kevin? I I do. Okay, so I'm going to go with TCU. It has some relevance to. This week in this studio. Uh, I'll go with Ole Miss. University of Barcelona. <laughs> <laughs> the Barcelona Dragons? Yeah. Oliver Lux World League over there. <laughs> um, do you guys have any idea who Notre Dame plays this week? Ooh. Zero. Zero idea. They've got Clemson next week because Clemson's idle this week. Oh, uh, okay. I don't know. Syracuse. Okay. So who your Tigers just played, right? That's right. Matt Hawk was horrific on Sunday. He had a 31-yard net average. And you know the wild part about that stat? So again, net average, how far you punt the ball and then how far the return. Well, he had one boom, didn't he? He had a 60-yard. Yeah. Which, again, right. you would think that would scale some things. Uh, the Titans did not have a single punt return yard. So, Jake, it's not like they had some 80-yard punt return for a touchdown that totally skews that stat. They didn't have a single punt return yard because Matt Hawk was just shanking all of them. They didn't, they're didn't. they like, wow, we can't even field it. The ball's out of bounds or the ball almost hit our you know, up man or whatever. Um, which is odd, though, because when he 
first inherited that position, not inherited, I mean, he you know, took it over once Rigoberto Sanchez was hurt and they went out and, you know, signed Hawk. And that looked like a real coup, right? I mean, Buffalo had their um, their issues. It, he gets released. And it's like, wow, what a great fight. Like, how lucky were the Colts? And he looked good. Yeah. No, he, he did have a nice start. Um, did I say Noah Nolan? Cooney. Oh, it's not Noah? No. Oh, that changes well, everything. There goes the arc <laughs> jokes. J- Jake's done for the day. Just head to the airport now. I had two of every animal ready to go. What the heck? That's a bummer. Big dude, 6'3". So, again, the Colts get back to practice today. I am guessing Shaquille Leonard would be good to go for this weekend. First time we see him in an extended period this season after he almost played... Last week. I'm going to get to something about Shaquille Leonard, by the way, that I noticed yesterday. First being, several people pointed out that if you look at his likes. <laughs> oh, gosh. You're talking his Twitter likes? Yeah, I want to. Oh, yeah. Somebody, there was a tweet sent yesterday. That man said, loves to search Twitter. I'm NFL- convinced he literally searches like. Myself, Stephen Holder, Zach Kiefer, et cetera, et cetera, every night. Because he's tagged in tweets, or he's not tagged, but finds tweets that mention like 53 that I am tagged in that he will then like at like 10, 15 p.m. every night. Yeah, so he, someone yesterday tweeted, the NFL trade deadline is next Tuesday. I honestly think the Colts should seriously consider being a seller. Now, who would they trade? Five guys come to mind. Matt Ryan, Shaquille Leonard listed second. And Shaquille Leonard liked that tweet. And somebody said, oh, man, look at this. Like, Shaquille Leonard wants out of here. I don't think it's that. I think he he likes things to remind himself of yes, what's said about without him. Without question. That is not him wanting to leave Indianapolis. That's him wanting to have receipts for later. Right. Now, now I, I mean, by the way, I would agree with that person. I, I would. Totally. I would be open to moving Shaquille Leonard right now. I fully understand that uh, his injury situation is murky, and a team taking that on is probably unlikely. But I think you're at a point now, six days ahead of the trade deadline, where now, everybody's on the table. Kevin, let me let me read you something that no one's untouchable from a week ago. I don't think we addressed this, and and I want to be very clear: I am not addressing this as a negative in any way but I found it interesting. The Ursay family, as we know, does the kicking the stigma campaign, correct? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, Which Kaylin, is, the youngest daughter, very big with that, and Jim has certainly been public with it. And who is the player that they have used on their roster as kind of a, a to help be a face of that? I would say Leonard's. One of, if not the most prominent. And Leonard has been very open about his difficulties or challenges, I believe, with depression, correct? Yes, I think so. He sent the following tweet last week. Today was one of them days mentally where I thought I couldn't defeat. But with each step that I took, I got stronger and stronger, which reminded me that all I had to do was to continue to push and soon I'll get through the storm. It's okay to feel this way, but I'll always fight back. You know, that, when I saw that, I thought to myself, okay, and and again, I'm not saying he's wrong or that 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 makes him weak, none of that. I want to be very clear in that. 
but it did make me wonder, is he mentally going through some things that might be holding him back from the football field as much as physically? Oh, I, I, I think without question. Yeah, oh, certainly. Yeah. This has been a, an extremely trying 12 months for him off the field. And I think injuries have played into that, Jake. You know, it's the first time he's really gone through anything. And it's been a very, again, awkward situation. I mean, in late May, he's saying, we we feel like we don't need any more surgeries. We're good. We think we have it under control. Two weeks later, he's got surgery on his back. Right. So, uh, yeah. And he's had some, I think he had a death in his family off the field. Um, so, yeah, that, I think that's a totally fair statement. And I think, honestly, if you said that or... You know, Leonard got wind of that. I think he would acknowledge it. He might like it on Twitter, but he would uh, he would acknowledge it. Colts favored by three with Sam Ellinger for Sunday. That over-under sitting at 40 right now. Only one over-under for this weekend has fewer points. That would be, very fittingly, of course, the London game. Jacksonville and Denver. Daniel Snyder's team is such a disaster. I realize that... They are also not starting their primary starter, but they're not even favored against a team who's taken a quarterback into the game that's never once played a snap. Three-point favorite. Not one, not two. Three. I mean, last week the Commanders had a really nice performance. I think it was the first time in a month they had scored more than 17 points in a game. Packers suck! Plus, you usually get the three-point bump for being the home team. We're going to have to get your pick, Jake, before you skedaddle out of here. Oh, that's scoreless. And and then we're going to need your pick on Jim Mercer versus Daniel Snyder at halftime. That's a scoreless, scoreless tie in the game. Um, The Daniel Snyder-Jim Mercer cage match. I think it's three rounds, 90 seconds each. Uh, Twitter wins that one just because of the videos that will come out. What would be awesome would be... A video Saturday night of Daniel Snyder and Jim Mercer at dinner together where Daniel Snyder is firing up a cigar despite being in a non-smoking section and having to buy everybody's dinner around him despite still getting ejected while Ursay names all of his desserts. That would be like, that's what I need to see. Daniel's- this one for Mr. Gilmore. <laughs> He knows Alec Pierce's name by now. That's good. That's a step in the right direction, right? Poor, poor Alec Pierce. I've got a couple of uh, Washington (laughs) radio hits this week. You know, obviously they're going to ask about Ursay. Do you think in any way, shape, or form there's any section of the fan base that's like, screw Ursay, how dare he call out our owner? No. Or do you think everyone just hates Daniel Snyder? The latter. I think in Washington... Like, Daniel Snyder is an unpopular owner within professional sports in general, but I think to outside of the the Washington football family or the, the, the commander's fan base, he's just seen as like this annoying little puke. But within the fan base, I think he is seen as... Because that is a passionate fan base. And it's a great franchise, historically speaking, and... and loyal fans all through Virginia and Maryland, all the way down, really, down to Norfolk. Huge. Most of the state of Virginia. And people feel invested in it, and then this guy comes along, and just because he's got a big 
checkbook has just run it into the ground, right? How about this? Jim Ursay, very philanthropic. Ursay, Daniel Snyder, Matt Ryan, Carson Wentz. Four people at dinner on Saturday night. They auction off the fifth seat to charity. That Yeah, that's big. Ursay, Daniel Snyder, Matt Ryan, Carson Wentz. Everybody can have a couple couple pops maybe before dinner starts. I was going to say, you slip some truth serum in there. Sure. And here's the, here's the crazy part about that. Take all that money right there to kicking the stigma, boom. The crazy part about that is the one guy of that quartet that seemingly has the least reason for people to dislike him is the only that would have awkward conversation with all three of the others. And I'm talking about Ursay. Ursay would have an awkward conversation with Wentz. He would have an awkward conversation with Ryan. He would have an awkward conversation with Snyder. Ryan could talk to Snyder. Yeah, okay, whatever. I mean, I, it's fine. You know, Wentz could talk to Snyder. Okay, whatever. It's fine. But all three of them, when they look at Jim Ursay, would be like, dude, really? Sam Ellinger is the waiter. Sam Ellinger looks like a nice waiter, doesn't he? Uh, no. <laughs> I do want to get more into Sam Ellinger later in the show. Where does Nick Foles fall into this? Exactly. Sommelier, maybe. If, Nick Foles if, was if supposed needed. to bring the food to the table, but instead is sitting three tables <laughs> over reading a book. Uh, what Sam Ellinger will bring to the Colts, a little bit of a pro and con look at that. Again, the NFL trade deadline six days away. Um, we can focus on that. As Jake mentioned, we'll have Dustin DePirac on to talk a little IU basketball and, and football. It's a bye week for IU and Purdue football-wise. It's been a bye week for IU for like a month. <laughs> Halloween weekend. Um, over the next week, we will chat with someone you know, covering IU, someone covering Purdue, and Butler as the college basketball season starts. I think it's next week, Jake. I feel like we're exhibitions. We're in the secret scrimmage exhibition time correct for college basketball like all of a sudden you just see some article like indiana and missouri had a scrimmage right. together okay yeah, notre dame and depaul had one in chicago on sunday um so yeah we'll do a, get a little iu angle today and then uh, probably purdue and butler will focus on next week uh you see trace jackson davis first team first team all-american all-american baby. for the yep. associated press drew timmy armando baycott from north With carolina drew timmy Drew Timmy's back for another season. Is that him or his kid? He, what is he, like 35? Uh, Oscar Shibway from Kentucky. Trace, of course, and then Marcus Sasser from Houston. Four big dudes and a guard. Do you know one thing that I learned? I, I was 49. I might have been 50. 50 and a month old when I learned this, and I, I, I'm embarrassed that I didn't know this. I, maybe I knew it and didn't know it. When Anthony Thompson was the running back at Indiana, same era, Minnesota had a really good running back that was a first-round draft pick that played in the NFL named Daryl Thompson, who was like a first-team All-American or first, certainly first-team All-Big Ten. In an era where Minnesota was not overly great in football, Daryl Thompson was – he and Anthony Thompson kind of were side-by-side side as like best running back in the Big Ten of that era. I had no idea that's Ray Thompson's dad. Really? I feel like they've mentioned that on the telecast. I, they, I'm sure they probably have a thousand times. And I think the game's like at Minnesota. I, I mean, like I'm sure. Prominent. I mean – his father is the Anthony Thompson of Minnesota. I mean, I, I'm embarrassed that I did never. I, again, I think I knew that, but never like fully grasped. Like, oh wait a minute, that Daryl Thompson. Okay, 
you know, four big guys on the All-American team, I think, is an indicator of how the NBA views college bigs right now. Timmy, Baycott, Shibway, and Trace. None of them are really perimeter guys. You see yeah. Jim Nance, final final four for him? Interesting you, interesting you mentioned that. I was just watching um, the 87 final four. I saw a little snippet, the Indiana-Vegas game I was watching. <laughs> And Nance was the pregame and halftime host. And I was thinking to myself, man, that was 35 years ago. Like, he had to have been right out of school. I mean, 28 years. I mean, how old is Jim Nance? I, I Early 60s? Someone said yesterday he graduated from Houston like in 80 or 81. Yeah, so, I mean, he would have been like 27 or 28 doing that. The Final Four is in Houston, by the way. So, I think a little bit of a... Will the Cougars be there? Sentimental statement. That well, there'll be some Cougars there. I don't know if the team will be. Jeez, okay. Mark. What? Wow. Iron Eagle will be Mark taking wasting over for no Jimenez. time. I'm just saying. Pacers Bulls tonight. Our coverage begins at 7.30. It's an 8 o'clock temp tip in the Eastern time zone. Um, Miles Turner, questionable. First time all year he's been bumped up to the questionable notion. I believe he practiced yesterday. It's been questionable for like six years. So we'll see if Miles Turner gives it a go tonight as the Pacers have game two of a five-game road trip. Kevin Bowen, Jake Corey, Mark Dykton on a misty start to this Wednesday morning here in Indianapolis. Kevin and Corey, thanks for tuning in. 93.5-1075, The Fan. The Morning Checkdown, brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. It was just in Muncie, by the way, quite the buzz around Michael Lewis's program and what the Cardinals might be able to do this year at Worthen Arena. Speaking of basketball, last night in the association, it was Washington over Detroit. 120-98, to 98, Pelicans over the Mavs, 113 to 111 Phoenix in the big one over Golden State 134 to 105 Devin Booker with 34 Clay Thompson was asked to leave because he said naughty words Steph Curry had 21 Jordan Poole 17 for the Warriors and Oklahoma City 108 94 over the LA Clippers See the Pacers seven and a half point underdogs tonight in Chicago again Miles Turner questionable as he looks to make his season debut for the Colts they're back to practice later today it'll be Sam Ellinger taking the starting reps he actually did that late last season when Carson Wentz missed a few practices due to COVID but it'll be his first NFL start coming up on Sunday the playbook is going to look a little bit different think get Sam Ellinger outside of the pocket here was offense coordinator Marcus Brady on that yesterday yes it's going to be different it's not the same you know you know Matt and um, Sam are two different types of quarterbacks but for the most part, it's not going to change too much for the skill guys and our whole line up front. You know, we'll have some nuances that put Sam in good positions to, you know, to succeed, make plays and, you know, maybe a little bit more, you know, naked game and um, get him outside the pocket in, in that that aspect, you know, hopefully get the, you know, the run game rolling. Mark, what's going on at home? What? I didn't say anything. <laughs> First Cougars, now naked game. It just made me chuckle. Good Lord. Everybody likes to play the naked game. Uh, with, okay. Uh, which happens first? Particularly outside of the pocket. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Thank you, Kevin. Okay. Which, which happens first? Sam Ellinger throws his first career interception or Sam Ellinger throws his first career touchdown? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I'll go touchdown. Yeah. Say so manages the operation, keeps himself out of some bad plays. Okay. Yeah, tosses one to uh, Kylan Granson, his high school teammate. How about that? I'll go with Michael Pittman Jr. will be the recipient of his first 
career touchdown pass. Okay. okay. Uh, the World Series coming up this Friday. That's game one from Houston. It'll be the Phillies and the Astros, of course, in the World Series. 2-3-2, two, two, the format with that one. How about next week? You've got the Phillies hosting uh, World Series games leading into then the Eagles hosting Thursday Night Football. That's pretty cool. Kind of like, um, was there anything better? I mean, speaking nostalgically here, but trying to make it relatable for the audience. Back in the day, Pacers and Racers, it's the yeah. best. Yeah, been a while for that. I know, but it was so good. So good. Wait, 2013 last time? I think that's right. I, there was one year, 13 or 14, and I got to think, I think it was 14, when the the race was the night of... Or I'm sorry, the Pacers played the night of the race. It was the race, and then that yeah. night was, you know, in the Knicks series, Eastern Conference Finals in the 94-95 time, it was sandwiched either side. So you had Saturday, Monday, Pacers, Sunday, race. It was great. I kind of like that. I kind of like the sandwich. I think there was one time, too, actually, where the Pacers-Knicks might have had a game. Pacers-Heat, right? It was Sunday? Correct. Yeah. Uh, we come back, we'll talk about Sam Ellinger. What is he going to bring to the Colts offense, good and bad? Dive a little bit more into exactly him, the football player, and what fans should expect this Sunday. 425 kick inside of Lucas Oil Stadium. Do that next year on Kevin and Corey. Jake slamming Sammy Ellinger under center this Sunday for the Colts. I think easily the biggest positive from a playing style standpoint is the Colts will have a threat to extend plays, a threat to make some plays with his legs. By no means do I want people to think that Ellinger is, you know, Lamar Jackson in the open field. Um, But he is a guy that showed in the preseason, certainly showed it at Texas. I think he's got a nice knack for knowing kind of when to escape, when to try and scramble, keep some plays alive. Um, And I think that will greatly help an area of the offense that obviously was not there with Matt Ryan. Um, You know, I know we kind of tongue-in-cheek with the Marcus Brady comments last segment, but, you know, his ability to do some bootleg stuff, to get out of the pocket, if anything, it just keeps an extra defender honest. And with the run game a little bit struggling right now, now Washington on Sunday has to have a linebacker or a defensive end that says, oh, wow, you know, that number four can actually do something with his legs. And that should, I think, open some things up in the run game. And then when you get to third down, it's an extra element away from you know the X's and O's that you draw up on the whiteboard. Yeah, listen, I'm intrigued by what he can do. My concern a little bit, Kevin, and you tell me if this makes sense, is I, I like the fact that Ellinger has more mobility and that that... I don't know that you lean on that or designed for that, but that that allows for perhaps as their offensive line still is trying to find its way a little more flexibility to extend plays. But my concern would be that the Colts are be, are looking to that as kind of a bailout of the issues in their offense. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I hear you out. But Jake, I would argue it's a necessary requirement for an NFL quarterback today. I think you look at the top QBs in the league today, all of them have some threat with their legs. Um, And so I I think it's just critical to have that. I think as you see more of kind of the infiltration of the college game to the NFL, the run-pass option stuff, I think now 
You'll see some of that from Ellinger on Sunday. You know, bailout, I feel like, has such a negative connotation with it. It's an offense right now that needs a spark. Right, that's fair. And I think Ellinger can give you some of that. Can he keep a third down alive? Can he keep a drive alive with his legs? Because he is going to have to offset, I think, some of the concern you do have as him as a pocket passer. Like, Ellinger's not throwing the ball 58 times, like we saw with Jacksonville a couple weeks ago. Um, And that would not be a way to sustain things. I do think the biggest concern of him out of Texas, and obviously it'll be on full display Sunday, is just what does that NFL arm look like against real NFL talent? In the preseason, and no fault to him, but you know he was going up against guys that you know, probably do want to play for the Barcelona Dragons and getting third team reps and you know, very few second team reps. I guess it more so would have been last preseason than this preseason. Um, he's worked a lot on his arm strength. He got very kind of scientific in describing that, working with Tom House, the former major leaguer, kind of the quarterback guru, and really has kind of rebuilt his throwing motion and feels like it's a long, but he said it was about a two year process, so he's not even into the first full year of it, but felt like, and I think you could see some strides there in the preseason, but again, seeing it at Grand Park, seeing it against the Detroit Lion third stringers is different than a first team NFL defense in a real game when they're actually game planning for you. So I think that's the biggest question. Can he fit, you know, throwing arm strength, velocity, can Sam Ellinger fit balls into some tight windows? You know, I keep going back to, Kevin, the discussion I've had with so many people over the course of the years in covering the NFL is the collapsed time of windows. For the best of the best, for Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning's arguably the greatest quarterback of all time. And Peyton Manning in his first year, you know, he led the NFL in interceptions by a rookie. And if you were to hear Peyton Manning explain it or ask Peyton Manning about it, he would tell you a large part of that was breaking the habit of the reactionary time necessary from college to the pros. By that, I mean, and Peyton Manning was at Tennessee, so he's playing against Alabama and Auburn. And, you know, granted, Sam Ellinger was at Texas, so he's also playing against great competition. But when you drop back and you are looking and you've got a receiver that has a two-yard gap on a closing defensive back, you make that throw in college and you complete it nine times out of ten. At the professional level, that you think to yourself that you've got two seconds, and in college, you've got two seconds to get that ball there. At the professional level, you've got one point two or a second. You know, so you know Jeff George has talked about who who has arguably the greatest arm of all time in terms of accuracy and velocity, and Jeff George has talked about the difficulty in training himself. To know that that window, it, it just slams shut. Yeah. And that's what's going to be Ellinger's biggest learning curve, I think. Even Kevin from and you and I talked about it yesterday, what will be interesting to me will be to see the, the difference between the professional game, excuse me, between the college game and professional preseason 
you know, when Sam Ellinger was playing really well in the preseason for the Colts, he was playing against what? 60% of the guys on the field are still playing on Sundays? The rest of them are probably like in the... Oh, I'd say 20%. Right. And playing, you mean playing special teams, not playing on defense. Yeah. So So that differential between the college game and what he saw at the preseason level is what percent of the change that he's now going to see from the preseason level to regular season. Well, Jake, to that point, I would argue, again, the biggest issue for him Sunday is now a team is game planning against him. Gus Bradley, for example, defense coordinator here in Indy, last year he was the defense coordinator for the Raiders in the week that Carson Wentz got COVID and it was Colts and Raiders. So for a week, Gus Bradley thought Sam Ellinger might be the opposing quarterback. And Gus was talking about it yesterday. They watched all the preseason film on Ellinger. They watched all the Texas film on Ellinger. So for the first time since Sam Ellinger played at Texas, he now is going to be in a game where the team is actually game planning for him. Right. Whereas the Detroit Lions in the third quarter of the preseason game in August are running their own defense, and they don't care if it's P.J. Walker, Jacob Eason, or Sam Ellinger. Now the commanders, with a very formidable defensive front, and Jack Del Rio will be actually game planning for Ellinger. I think to your point about like college open versus high school open versus NFL open, you know, throwing with anticipation at the NFL level is a much different animal than college or the NFL or college or high school. Jake, when Sam Ellinger gets on the practice field here in about four hours, it's probably going to be the first extensive time that he's thrown to Pittman. Yeah, that timing Mo is... Mo Alley-Cox. Correct. That timing is huge, right? You know, Paris Campbell. Well, Alec Pierce. Yeah. And, you know, obviously, Pierce and Woods right. would fall into the category now, for any rookie. So, I think that is something that, you know, what does the timing look like with these new guys? Not only timing of trying to get the ball into tight windows with an actual NFL defense, but doing it with new personnel. Which do you think feels like it's moving at a faster rate when you are a new quarterback? That collapse between defensive back and receiver or the pocket collapsing? And, and that that clock in your head of like I've got like you know yeah. in college you get okay I got six seven seconds whatever and at the NFL level it's like man your head's especially right now right with this offensive line it's probably I, that's what a little I mean. bit more pocket collapsing that's what I mean. but if you weren't as worried about that as you are I would think a little bit more back end well, one other thing I do want to add on, on Ellinger. And again, this is a huge like Peyton Manning core quarterback belief. And I know we've touched on it prior, but I think it's super relevant in going from Matt Ryan to Sam Ellinger. Manning has always said one of, if not the most important jobs for a quarterback is to get the offense out of a bad play. Correct. That's what he always said, right? Was It wasn't about finding a good play. It was about getting out of a bad one. Have a chance to succeed. And I think what you saw with Matt Ryan is he didn't get the Colts out of bad plays, and when the bad plays showed up, he made them catastrophic. That's If Ellinger can just, again, take those interceptions and turn them into punts, that would keep the Colts in, I think, several of these games that they have not been in yet. Uh, Kevin, I want to talk wide receiver growth. Hey, what's up, Kevin? Uh, Kevin, I want to talk wide receiver, bro. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to uh, first nice say that Kevin. Jake nice is the, echo. I love listening to Jake in the morning in particular. Um, that's why I never turn my radio down, because I don't want to miss anything he says. Sounds like peanuts. 
<laughs> right? It's the teacher from Peanuts. Wah, 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 wah. Stephen Holder going to join us in a few here. Again, Dustin Depirak around 9 o'clock as we start to get into college basketball season. We'll chat about Indiana, Purdue, and Butler all coming up here. I forgot about Michael Lewis and Ball State. Heck yeah. Telling you, man, they're fired up. Chirp, chirp. Austin fired Parkinson, up. the new Butler women's coach, right? Correct. Coming from IUPUI. Um, again, Taylor Heineke and Sam Ellinger this Sunday. The Colts favored by three. That that continues to surprise you a bit. Are they still televising that game? Like outside of, do you think that game? How many people across the country are getting that game? Well, look at the window it's in. Four twenty-five window. So what? It goes up against one other game, right? Boy, boy. On the call, speaking of Butler, is one Brendan Gauden. That's right. There's actually three. 425 games. So it's Three on Fox. Washington at Colts. Uh, Niners at Rams. That'll probably be the big one. And then Giants at Seahawks. Niners-Rams is a good one. And Giants-Seahawks is surprisingly a better mm-hmm. matchup than anybody thought, right? The two surprise teams. And yeah. look, I mean, look at those markets. Those markets are big. But Jake, to your point, I mean, doesn't Washington have a lot of national clout? Yeah, uh, regional for sure. I, does it have still have? Not, I mean, I guess it does because they're a big brand, right? But I mean, I, it has national clout when they have their regular starting quarterback and their owners not trying to get ousted from the league. Three intrastate matchups this week: Bengals, Browns, Rams, Forty Niners. Care to guess the third? Cowboys, Texans. No. Uh... Dolphins Bucks. Good against bad. Not Dolphins Bucks. Really good against bad. Ooh, there's only one team in Missouri. Uh I wouldn't go to Missouri then. <laughs> Inter squad game. I don't know. Eagle Steelers. Yeah, Steelers are bad. Uh Stephen Holder joins us next here. Kevin Inquiry, eight o'clock hour on a misty start to this Wednesday. Uh, Stephen Holder joins us on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Stephen, of course, with the Athletic, nope, their nope. NFL writer and ESPN, well right? covered Colts. Did I say Athletic? ESPN.com, sorry. Stephen, sorry about that. Uh, old habits die hard. I knew I'd do that eventually, but Stephen Holder with ESPN.com covering the NFL and the Colts. And I'm going to begin with this question, Stephen, with my apologies. Um, this move that came out this week in terms of Sam Ellinger being upgraded as the starting quarterback – what percent of that is because of the owner's belief in Sam Ellinger, and what percent of it is because of the financials of Matt Ryan's injury if the Colts have decided that he is not going to be on the roster next year? Okay, so that makes sense. Well, first of all, I was told there would be no math, so Kevin, this is on you. Yeah, okay. sorry, Stephen. Right. Jake's so, doing algebra, so he's got me on this math. We're all frazzled right in here. All right, I'm just making sure. It's too early for that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I've had a lot of jobs. It's all good. Um, so, <laughs> look, I, I think I, there is a consideration, certainly, with Matt Ryan's uh, future obligations. And so I think the number is an additional 16 or 17 million, I think, if, if the Colts were on the hook for all of his 2023 salary, right? Uh, as it stands now, I believe the number is somewhere like 12. To 
15 million. I, I, I should know this. I think I, it's 12 I, I guaranteed already, and yeah. then 17 is up in the air. There you go. Okay, so I was right. So I, I think that is significant. Don't get me wrong. I do think that is significant. However, I don't think that's driving this. I really don't. I, I really don't think that's driving this. I do think Jim Ursay is definitely pushing this and, and is a big reason, if not the reason, this is happening. Don't get me wrong. But I don't think that's the biggest reason. I, I really think this boils down to a couple things. If you're Jim Mercy, you're looking at this team right now, and, and I'm not even saying I necessarily agree. I don't, know what, I don't know if I would have done this, right? But I also can understand that you're looking at this desperate situation on your, uh, you know, with your offense and thinking, okay, well, what buttons can we press? They have tried five different offensive line combinations. They've tried to run it. They've tried to throw it. They've tried to play quick. They've played slow. None of it has worked. And as the owner, you're very used to, or any boss in any organization, you're very used to you know, being able to, to dictate changes that you think will, will lead to results, except none of the changes have led to, re- to results. So this is the only card left to play. <laughs> it really is. And, and again, like I said, I don't know if I would have done it, but I, don't, well, I also get the fact that the reality is, what else are you going to do at this point? And, and then, frankly, look, Matt Ryan's injury was the opportunity. I know what Frank said, that they would have done this anyway. I, I'm skeptical. Let's just put it that way. I'm skeptical. Not because I thought Matt Ryan was doing a great job. No. I mean, we've talked about this week in, week out. The fact is, though, I, I just didn't really see any, any momentum uh, from the coaching staff to want to go to Sam Ellinger. I think that momentum came from elsewhere. To that point, Stephen, again, and I think you've hit on this, Jim Merce believes this is this can help the Colts in the short term. Like, he literally thinks that, again, Ellinger can be an upgrade right now. I, I, I'm curious, and I guess it's a bit of an unknown, what do you think the overall sentiment is in that locker room on that? Do you think it's a bigger chunk of guys that are saying, good, Matt Ryan led us and led the NFL in turnovers. He was killing us. I'm glad he got benched. Or is there some guy saying, wait, we're 3-3-1, three, three and one, a game and a half back of the Titans, and we're going to a guy who's never thrown a pass in the NFL? I think it's probably a mix. And I, I think, listen, I was in that locker room on Sunday, and I said this to JMV the other night. No one in that locker room on defense said, man, you know, that offense over there not pulling their weight. Like, no one said that. And, and I, I, I think this team has a lot of character. What's that? But were they thinking it? Well, that's what I'm getting to. There was a little bit. I, I don't know. It, it just felt like they kind of felt defeated, you know? And, and maybe I'm reaching. Maybe I'm reaching. I, I can admit that. But it did feel like in talking to defensive players, they were like, what do you want me to say, man? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, dude, we just went out there and, you know, and, and played car crash, bumper cars with, with – you know, Derrick Henry for four quarters and didn't allow a touchdown. What do you want me to say? You know what I mean? And we just kind of looked there at each other and just kind of shrugged and like, you know what? You're right. You know? (laughs) So I guess what I'm saying is there's frustration in that regard. Not, not anger. It wasn't anger, but I think there's frustration, you know? And, And so when you have that, maybe you're open to whatever at that point, you know what I mean? 
Um, but I but I also think there's a little bit of head scratching, like you know, do we know what we're doing and where what's what's going to happen? I think there's so I think there's just some uncertainty. I know this isn't necessarily moving the ball forward on the question. It's just it's it's complicated. I, I just don't know that there's a an overwhelming sentiment one way or the other. I think guys are are open-minded because the results aren't there, but I think there's also a recognition. you got a lot of veteran players over there on defense in particular who have seen a lot, and, and they probably are smart enough to understand that this is a little bit of a desperate move by a desperate team. And that's a bad place to be. Does it kind of put Steven, Sam Ellinger in a bad spot? Because, listen, it's a great opportunity for him. There's the, you know, maybe this guy is the diamond in the rough, but yet he now represents to a lot of people, be it fair or not, be it accurate or not, there are those that will see Sam Ellinger as representative of a franchise that has ripped off the band aid and turned the page towards the future instead of focusing on the now. And are there people within the locker room that feel that way? And does it put him in a bad situation amongst those around him? Well, I, I can't speak to how how the others in the locker room feel about that, but I but I would say, you know, does it put Sam Ellinger in a tough spot? Yeah, it does. I I think either there's two there's two ways of of thinking about this problematically for fans. Number one, there are people who will think that he's the answer, <laughs> which and he may turn out to be. And and let me tell you, damn it, I'll, I'll be here to write that story. I'm all for it. Okay, let's. Let's write a great, happy ending to this thing. That's, that's fantastic. But obviously the odds are against that. History tells us he's probably not that guy, right? Then there's also what you said, which is, you know, he, he kind of represents almost giving up on, on the route they were going and, as you said, turning the pace to the future, ripping off the Band-Aid, I think is a good way of putting it. And, you know, it almost makes you sort of a – if it, unless he's the guy, it kind of makes him a placeholder until they find the guy, you know? So, I don't know. I, I do think for Sam, I'll say this, it, it's, a, it's a great opportunity for him. It's a great opportunity. And, and, and he will rise to the occasion, certainly from a, from a leadership standpoint and from a composure standpoint. Like, he will rise to the occasion. I have zero, zero, zero doubt about that. He is so impressive. But he's going to have to step up and he's going to have to make plays under really difficult circumstances. And I'll, I'm going to wrap this up in a second. But, you know, I, I hear a lot of comparisons to you know, Jalen Hurts and Lamar Jackson, not in terms of talent, but in terms of style, right? All these quote-unquote running quarterbacks. The key is, okay, what all of those guys do, the reason they are dangerous is because at some point, when it comes down to it, they're able to stand in the pocket and make really tough throws, and that is what it's going to take. He's going to have to, have to, have to do that, or this will be a disaster. It is a golden opportunity for Sam Ellinger. Oh, I mean, six-round picks dream of potentially having 10 starts in their second NFL season, and right now, that's what it's it looks a, like for Ellinger. It's ever happened to him. Say it again. By far. It's it's the best thing that has ever happened to them. Oh, it's I mean it's again, incredible. late day three picks at quarterback looking for job interviews. Again, it's a golden golden opportunity for him. Stephen Holder from ESPN.com with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Stephen, do you think Jim Mercey has made his 2023 decision on Chris Ballard and or Frank Reich, or is that still up in the air? 
Well, I, I would say, honestly, from the from the coaching standpoint, the, the Ballard question is a little more complicated, and I'll get to that in a second. I think with the coaching question with Frank Reich, I mean, if this is what it looks like, if, if the owner is stepping in and, and adamantly pushing for a lineup change at quarterback, you have basically undermined your head coach, in my opinion. I, I don't know how else to look at it. And I'm not even saying that Jim Mercy's right or wrong. That's a whole other question. All I'm saying is, when it gets to that point, <laughs> when you're no longer, when you're no longer, you know, when you no longer have autonomy over over the the quarterback decision, I mean, what are we talking about? You know what I mean? Right. So, it sure as hell looks like it. I can't say that. I don't know. He hasn't told me that. Him being Jim Mercy, but. I mean, the actions speak louder than words here, don't you think? Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of truth behind that. Um, it, Ballard situation, you think just yeah, a little bit more complicated, and and I guess based off your answer there, I would assume you don't think these two are tied at the hip. I, I just, well, I, I, I haven't, I haven't gotten there yet, and oftentimes, and we know this, um, I've seen this in many other situations. The situations are different, and you judge your coach and GM differently because their jobs are different. And the other thing is, look, the, the fact is the, the, the general manager works with the owner in a much closer capacity. Uh, the nature of the relationship is different. I'm not saying that he ha- that, that Jim Mercy likes Chris Ballard better than Frank Wright. I am not saying that. I'm just saying the nature of their jobs are different. Uh, the general manager deals with the owner on a much different level, just because of the nature of his job. And so sometimes that leads to a, a, the relationship being different and a greater understanding of, of why the general manager does what he does. I, I don't know. Um, and oftentimes the, the owner tends to see the coach, and I'm not talking about these guys, I'm talking about in general. The, the owner's view of the coach oftentimes comes through the prism of the general manager, because that is who they're working in tandem with oftentimes, you know, and, and often having conversations with. So I, I don't know. I guess I, what I'm saying is it's a little more complicated and it's just hard to tell. It's just hard to tell. Um, look, all I can say is, I mean, he, Jim Mercer hired a general manager before they hired a coach. Those two moves were made separately the last time. And maybe that's a reason not to do it again. Maybe it is a reason to tie them at the hip because that did get a little messy. Uh, So we'll see. I don't know. I don't know on Chris Bowder. I really don't. Steven, speaking of, um, you know, getting complicated, I I know this will stun you. Steven Holder's our guest from ESPN.com. Even next Wednesday, Jake will be gone. He'll be in Europe if that entices you at all to (laughs) to, hop on to us. What, what, are you coming back or no? (laughs) Uh, I'll be back Thursday. Uh, I come back Wednesday, but I'm back on the show Thursday. But sometimes I I overthink things probably. I am stunned, actually. I know. And and Steven, you're you're a sound, very rational and calm dude. So sometimes you're the one that I lean on and I go, am I overthinking this? So we're going to play that game right now i had mentioned yesterday that when frank reich came out and said and i'm paraphrasing but he basically said like hey i told matt ryan like we 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 didn't 
deliver what we promised. We told him that we would have a great running game and we'd protect him, and we failed to do that. And granted, Frank Reich did say, like, you know, that that's on me in the offense. Um, that, to me, also was a subtlety, maybe not even consciously, but a subtlety by Frank Reich of, hey, this isn't all on me. We didn't construct this team properly for Matt Ryan to have the pieces necessary. And to me, it was an indictment all the way across the board. Your thoughts? I'm not prepared to say that. Now, I'll tell you why. Because I, I think what the way I interpreted what you just outlined, and that's, that's a pretty good representation of what Frank Reich said. Uh, the way I interpreted it was that was a reference to the sales pitch, frankly, that Frank Reich gave Matt Ryan when, when they talked about you know, potentially putting this together. Because even though this was a trade, ultimately Matt Ryan had sign-off on it. The, you know, the Falcons gave him that ability to, to say yay or nay. And so it was up to the Colts to kind of sell him on, on why this was a good fit. And he had done his due diligence. Talk, he called Peyton Manning. He talked to other people. And then he had, a, I believe, a, a, a two-hour uh, video conference with Frank and his coaches and Chris Ballard. And that was really, that was the sales pitch. And the pitch was, look, we will protect you. We've got the leading rusher. We've got the returning rushing champion in the NFL and Jonathan Taylor. Like, this is going to be the best situation you've ever been in. And you're just going to be basically along for the ride and just make the occasional big throw when we need you to. That was his sales pitch. And Matt Ryan said, I'm in because it sounded great. <laughs> it just, and I think as Frank Reich outlined very, very well, that was not the case. So I, that's what I think he was referring to. Now, that being said, I, I do think there were some missteps made along the way here that really uh, are, are probably more about roster construction than the actual coaching. Frank has taken a lot on the chin here. I will say this. Look, overall, look, I think as we sit here today, I see it's, he's going to have a hard time surviving this. But step, take a step back, and in the end, regardless of whose fault it is, I mean, who's surprised that Frank Reich isn't going to make it if that ends up being the case when he's had different quarterbacks five straight years? Like, duh. Yeah. I, I mean – it's hard to get footing, man. And and Stephen, you and I both know. I mean, you've covered a lot of teams. You've covered the Bucks. You've covered the Colts. I think there are a lot of Colts fans that, and I don't mean that condescendingly, understandably so because of the fact that you went from one franchise quarterback to the next. Uh, this is the norm in the NFL. This is life in the NFL for most people, right? Like most people, most franchises are constantly searching, and it's hard to find that guy. Well, I mean, th th there's so many examples. And I mean, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago going into the Broncos game and the parallels there. I think the Broncos had something like nine starting quarterbacks between Peyton Manning and Russell Wilson. <laughs> Not to say that Russell Wilson is working out, right? But I think there were something like nine starting quarterbacks in the six or seven years. And here's what's interesting. Unlike the Colts, who have had one coach with, through all these quarterback changes because Frank Reich has kind of kept things afloat. The Broncos had multiple coaches because none of them could keep the team afloat through that. So maybe that's a, maybe that's a, a, a feather in Frank Reich's cap that he 
you know, that he was able to, to somehow survive this long under the circumstances. You know, it's not a defense. I'm just saying oftentimes when that's the situation, the coaches, they can't rise above it and, and they fizzle out pretty quickly. Uh, you know, you talked about other team situations. I mean, you know, look, we're in the Midwest. People here are very familiar with the Chicago Bears. I mean, we're talking 50 years, right, since they've had a, a, a consistent quarterback situation. You know, Jim McMahon notwithstanding. Uh, the Miami Dolphins, my hometown team, right? I mean, maybe two is the guy. But, I mean, Dan Marino retired a long time ago, right? I and mean, we could go on and on and on. It's, uh, it's a terrible place to be. And, and I guess that's the argument for going and making – a dramatic move because the alternative could be even worse than we realize right now. Steven, last one from me. And again, Steven Holder from ESPN.com with us here on the Payless Lickers Hotline. Whether it's wins and losses, whether it's specific stats, whether it's more of an eye test, what would Sam Ellinger have to show the Colts in the next 10 weeks to take quarterback off the board come next April? Hmm. Good question. I- I really think that he would – it would have to be more than just, you know, sort of a, an emotional lift, right? Because I think sometimes young quarterbacks or, you know, sort of new quarterbacks can come in and give the team a lift, right? Yeah, P.J. Walker and, with Carolina. Right, right. But it, it, ha- it can't just be emotional. It can't. Don't fall into that trap, man. I'm telling you. Don't fall into that trap. I'm not rooting against this kid. I mean, I want to be clear, but I'm answering the question. You know what I mean? I don't want people to misunderstand me. I hope this works out. I love Sam, and I'm tired of covering quarterback changes, let me tell you. So selfishly, I hope the thing works out. But it, but it can't just be about, oh, well, you know, he's, he's a good leader, and, he's, and he gave us an emotional lift, and we won a couple games. It can't be that, man. It's got to be this, this kid showed it. He's got the tools, and – he can make the throws, frankly. And it can't just be, oh, he, he makes some good runs. No, I don't want to hear that. It's got to be he can be a quarterback who can do all of the things that are required to be a, a long-term starting quarterback in the NFL. And that's not to say that he, he can't play well enough that he can be in the mix next year. But if you're talking about like saying, all right, he's our guy going forward, it's got to be like clear-cut. It can't be like mealy mouth. This has to be clear. Stephen, last question from me. Stephen Holder, our guest. You know, you cover, obviously, beyond just the Colts. You're around the league and watching things. We were just talking about, um, I think it's intriguing that Seattle's taking on the Giants. I know people around here might not have a lot of concern about that game, but those are two teams that probably have exceeded expectation. They're getting better quarterback play than they anticipated. Kevin and I talked about this this morning. Could there be a team that has put themselves in better position than where they thought they would be right now that feels like if their quarterback went down, a Matt Ryan trade deadline type acquisition for three to five weeks can keep them afloat and in the mix? A San Francisco. Or Foles, yes. Foles, too. That's a good point, Kevin. Uh, Are either of those two guys' possibilities to be moving on? Uh, that's a good question. I, I, I guess you know those two teams you mentioned. They are they are good examples, but I, I don't know. I, I just think that the, the funny thing is the teams that are struggling. A lot of the teams that are struggling are teams where they're never going to sit the quarterback. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like 
the, the Packers ain't sitting their quarterback. <laughs> the Bucks aren't sitting their quarterback. And, and these are teams that are struggling. You know, the Rams, are, they're not sitting their quarterback. Now, none of those guys are playing great. And some, in some of their cases, like the Bucks, there are other issues, too. It's not the quarterback per se. But my point is, I, those are the teams that, that kind of come to mind as, as teams that are sort of, you know, kind of you're waiting for them to get going. But those aren't teams that are going to move the quarterback. So I think the answer is probably no. I don't see a really good market. And then the, the teams where, or some teams where we had huge quarterback questions, they are rolling. The Jets, the Giants, the Seahawks are viable right now, like you said. So I don't think it happens. I really don't think there's a market. I mean, the, maybe the only scenario, but this team's kind of out of it, is, is the Saints. I mean, they're two and five. Uh, I don't know where things stand right now, but I don't. I don't even think that's, the answer. I mean, what's the difference between what they've got, you know? So yeah, I don't, I don't see it. I really don't see it. Steven Holder again, ESPN.com. I know we're way over Steven, but I would agree with you. Uh, limited carries for Jonathan Taylor on Sunday, but I thought there were some flashes in the run game and Taylor's health. I thought looked particularly impressive that we have not seen in a few weeks. So uh, wondering if Sam Ellinger now at quarterback, a little bit of a run threat, what does that do for the run game? Steven, as always, man, thank you. All right, guys. Anytime. Steven Holder right there on the Payless Lookers hotline. I'm so mad at myself that I didn't say ESPN.com right from the get-go. Oh, you're good. Oh, you got you got two feet in the Barcelona sand, baby. <laughs> I Now, are you going to uh, – this might be a little personal. Any uh, performance-enhancing drugs you might take on the flight over? You're asking him if he's a, if he's a mule? That's what you're saying. You know, uh, you a drug mule? Any sleep aid might be a little bit more of the politically Boy, correct that's term. A, that's a good. Um, I could sense you get you got very nervous there when I initially started that like, that wow. question. So um, you're probably glad I finished <laughs> there. <laughs> um, the challenge is going to be leaving Chicago at like five thirty in the afternoon. And then landing in Barcelona at seven eight or like eight a.m. So around seven p.m. theoretically is when you would I would want to be like trying to go to sleep. Uh, is my body going to be able to sleep at seven p.m.? I know. See, I screwed that up going to London a handful of years ago, and I napped when I got there. That's a major no-no. Well, you got to fight it the first day. I know, but the one benefit I guess would be this. As I understand it, I've not been to Spain, but my understanding is that like around 4 p.m., they shut everything down culturally, like the siesta, literally, and then at 8 p.m., everything ramps back up again, and you go and like dinners at like 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock at night. So that might be to our advantage, right? Like you get there and, you know, I mean, tomorrow there's a, I've got like stuff planned, but maybe by like four, when, I remember when I went to Paris, taking a nap like staying up fighting it fighting it till like four and then napping until like six or seven getting up going through the evening and then like at 11 going to bed wake up the next morning and boom we were at you're on schedule jonathan asks uh running with the bulls man i would love let me tell you something and i'm a big animal guy i know that the running of the bulls there's it's it's not good what happens to the poor bulls that's pomblona i would love to run with the bulls my buddy chris ewing did it is that a Pacers Bulls reference? Uh, Eight o'clock tonight. tonight yeah. Pacers be running with the Bulls, right? Now I'd love to do it. I'm not doing that, but I would love to. Jake Quarry off to Spain and a little bit of Italy, right? Correct. Uh, three days Florence, 
well, Barcelona to start, then to Florence. Um, my goal in life, my entire life, has been to see Michelangelo's David. I've read a ton about it. I'm fascinated by it. So I figured an hour flight away, got to do it. Um, it'll be myself and Mark Dykton here for the next week or so. Um, at the top of the 9 o'clock hour, it'll be Dustin DePirac. We'll talk some IU basketball. Get probably a Tom Allen question in there. I've crunched the numbers on Sam Ellinger's preseason, so I thought that was a really good question. Uh, I think it was Rob that asked earlier. So I'll share that here after the break. Let's do a morning check down. The Morning Checkdown, brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. You just heard Kevin Bowen mention it, the Bulls of Chicago tonight entertaining the Indiana Pacers. The Bulls, a seven-and-a-half point favorite tonight. Last night in the association, it was Washington over the Pistons, 120-98. New Orleans over Dallas, 113-111. Oklahoma City over the Clippers. And the Phoenix Suns blowing out the Golden State Warriors, who for the most part were without Clay Thompson that got into a scuffle with Devin Booker, amongst others. And they said, we've seen enough. Go to the naughty room. And that's what he did. Devin Booker with 34. Our coverage tonight, 7.30. The Pacers in Chicago. Miles Turner listed as questionable. He got on the practice floor yesterday. The original report on his ankle sprain was you know, potentially a week, maybe a little bit more. Uh, we're at a week right now. Wednesday, uh, it was last week when he uh, sprained his ankle in warm-ups for the season opener. So if it's not tonight, um, I think it's what, Wizards coming up and a couple games of the Nets, I believe, to round out the Pacers road trip. I'm looking here. You are correct. Did you say the Wizards in a couple with Brooklyn? Yeah, is it yeah, right. is it in, in that order? Yep, and then back to take on Miami on the fourth. Seven and a half point underdog tonight. Colts back to practice today. Again, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday practice this week. Sam Ellinger's first work with the starting offense since last year, the Raiders game when Carson Wentz was out due to COVID. Um, so it's been scout team for Ellinger really all season long. So not even running the Colts offense last week. He did, you know, take the second team reps, uh, with the promotion there from third string to second string, um, Shaquille Leonard injury wise, I guess that's kind of the, we'll see if Quiddy pay gets back. He's missed a few weeks and a new punter, not Noah Ark, right? Noah's Ark. It's Nolan. 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 Yes. Nolan Cooney. I believe you said Noah earlier, and we had, for those that were uh, not around or up this morning, we had 242 Noah jokes, right? All of them coming in pairs, needless to say. Right. And then... In my opinion, that sucked. (laughs) We found out it was Nolan. And then later, I said that Stephen Holder worked for his old employer instead of his new. So we're... (laughs) Off to the races. Well, I guess we're... All our screw-ups have been in pairs. Very reminiscent of Matt Hawk's punting from Sunday, right? That's right. Too bad one... One decent and then a bunch of bad, right? Uh, Nolan Cooney never punted in the NFL. He's on the practice squad. Uh, he's been with the Saints and the Cardinals. So a little punting competition this week heading into week eight. All right, we come back. We'll continue to take your calls. 317-239-1070. I'll share those Sam Ellinger stats. How new will the skill guys be that he's throwing the ball to? Some interesting numbers from the preseason. Let's recap what's taking place this morning. Yesterday, the Colts made a quarterbacking change. This morning, uh, Kevin picked Monday. me up. Monday, right? Or Monday, I'm sorry. Come on. Sorry. Come on. Yesterday, let me rephrase that. You guys can both settle down. 
Yesterday was the first show that we talked about the fact the Colts had made a quarterbacking change. The, the weird thing about a morning show is, I don't know about you guys, but for me, like 10.30 comes and I'm like on to the next day, right? Um, this morning, Kevin and I carpooled in. Yes, uh-huh. My car is... I did find it weird when you opened up the back door first, like I was an Uber. <laughs> No, I got, leaned in. Two car seats back there, man. You, you looked and you're like, Jake. Well, yes. Okay, yeah. I'm, okay, yeah. That, we're the right people then. Were you tempted to like run? Like, obviously, it was raining. Did you feel like hitting a puddle? Like, oh, sorry, I didn't see you there. <laughs> Boy, he was out in the middle of the street, I flagging was, me I, down. I, I mean, wanted to make it easy. You know, yeah. Kevin said he was coming out Washington. I'm like, I'll make it easy. He on was you. prompt. I will give him that. Um, so we we rode in together, and then we got here, and Mark made not one, not two, but three um, snide and kind of like horny teenage jokes. What? Right? Yeah, I think you did. Whoa. Yeah, that is accurate. <laughs> Thank, you, Kevin. Yeah. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. Do it most. Very early. So you, you are admitting, though, to at least two of them, correct? Well, saying a cougar might be in Houston. I mean, that's like saying the sun's going to rise at some point. Uh, I don't know if the sun's rising today if you've looked outside. Yeah, no kidding. I don't know what my other two were. I don't know. You've been all over the map this morning. Uh, I screwed up where Stephen Holder works, and the Colts have possibly a new punter to go with their new quarterback. I've been crunching the numbers, okay, on the Sam Ellinger thing. Okay. I've been doing a little math, channeling my inner Jake here. Uh, Rob asked earlier how many, because obviously one of the big jumps for Sam Ellinger this Sunday will be throwing to personnel he's not used to. Um, Rob asked, you know, how many of the completions Sam Ellinger had in the preseason are guys that are even on the roster right now? It's actually a decent amount of guys that are still on the roster. It's more just guys that don't really play. Well, though. that's it. So, like, so he completed twenty-four of twenty-eight in the preseason. I, I would imagine a lot of those were to Mike Strawn, right? Uh, four to Mike Strawn. Uh, Kiki Kuti, if I'm saying that correctly. None to Kuti, actually. Okay. You know, his leading receiver was Desmond Patman. So okay. Patman caught seven. Strawn caught four. There was the tight end out of uh, who was the tight end they had that basketball player they were a fan of michael jacobson from iowa state correct tyrese halliburton's college teammate uh yeah one ball he had the one touchdown um so if you look in order patman caught seven strong caught four Deion jackson caught four jelani woods two kylan granson one and then one two three four five six other guys caught one ball none of them are on the roster so Full circle and compass that all. He did not complete any balls to Michael Pittman, Alec Pierce, Paris Campbell, Mo Ali Cox, Jonathan Taylor, Naheem Hines. If you look at who played for the Colts on Sunday, like who were the skill guys out there on the field, um, only 15% of the snaps went to guys that Ellinger played with in the preseason. That would be Granson, Woods, Deion Jackson for a few, Mike Strawn for a couple. 85% of the snaps went to who you would expect. Michael Pittman, Paris Campbell, Pierce, Taylor, etc. So basically, the vast majority of skill guys that are playing for the Colts right now, Sam Ellinger has practiced slash played with very little in preseason games. But one would assume that he has thrown to and worked out with them. I would say worked out. I don't know about practice. Outside of what, last week or last year in that Raiders week? You know, him and Jacob Eason, I guess, split some starting reps at times last season. Yeah, a lot of, lot of scout time, right? And again, in the scout team work, you're working with That's the what practice I mean, squad guys. Right. And you're not running the Colts offense. That, I think, is something to note. 
Last week was the first time Ellinger's ran the Colts' offense in a practice all year long. I'm really curious whether people are... You know, Ellinger has been put in a unique situation where he represents to the fan base probably something different than what he represents to his locker room. To the fan base, he represents hope of a new beginning. It's been a long time since the Colts have had a young quarterback that they were handing the keys over to as a let's see what we have here. You knew what you had in Andrew Luck. You knew what you had in Peyton Manning. And then it's been a carousel of veteran guys. You know, Carson Wentz maybe would be one because I think Carson Wentz was thought was going to be a long-term guy. But in terms of the unknown, you know, the, the old saying is the most popular guy in town is always the backup quarterback. For a fan base, I think that energizes people or certainly it is of intrigue. But for the roster itself and the players inside the locker room, sure, I, I'm sure they like Sam Ellinger a great deal. He's a teammate. He's been around. He's a young guy. They, I, But in the back of their mind, there have to be some of those guys that are thinking like, this isn't what I signed up for, man. Oh, for sure. But I also think, and that's a question I threw to Holder a few minutes ago, Jake, some of those guys have got to be thinking, especially on the defensive side of the ball, dude, we've been put in awful situations because Matt Ryan turns it over every single play. So I, I would be very curious to see the true serum, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, about some of those guys saying, enough's enough. We're doing our part. Tennessee did not score an offensive touchdown on Sunday, and they still beat the Colts by two scores. If you're Gilmore, if you're Buckner, if you're Grover Stewart, that's got to piss you off. Grover Stewart, man, that's a guy that, I mean, he's, to use the term that NFL people use that Jeff Saturday would say, he's just been balling out, right? Like he's, yeah, he deserves, he's the one guy, absolutely. Randy Bullock, AFC Special Teams Player of the Week after his strong kicking performance against the Colts. Um, We got this email, Jake, from Rob, Robin Broadripple. And he was asking about Sam Ellinger and basically what he needs to do to be the guy. Again, take the quarterback draft selection off the board. He points out wins and losses. Kind of pointed to Trevor Lawrence and the lack of wins there. I I don't fall so much in the wins or losses. You know, Manny went 3-13 and in his rookie year. It's not like you bail on a guy because a young quarterback doesn't win a whole lot. I think it's the types of throws he makes. Certainly, there's some metrics, the yards per attempt, completion percentage that mean a lot to the Colts. Um, But I think more than anything, I just think it's so important not to get complacent at quarterback. And Ellinger can show some nice signs here in the next two and a half months. But Jake, you've got to make sure that if and when you have the somewhat high draft pick coming up in April that you view that as the opportunity to try and find a guy that has traits that, frankly, you don't even think Sam Ellinger has right? as a quarterback. You, you, you can't settle at QB. When you find the guy, when you evaluate that guy, when you identify him, and Chris Ballard was a part of the early process in that in Kansas City with Patrick Mahomes. When you, when you see that, you go and get that guy. And I think that's the key thing to remember about Ellinger is he would have to do 
some pretty wild stuff, in my opinion, to take quarterback totally off the board in April. I can't see any way quarterback comes totally off the board in April, right? I hope you're right, but I mean, unless with this regime, them falling in love and having some blind loyalty has happened too often. Unless Sam Ellinger is the next Patrick Mahomes, there's no way quarterback comes off the board, in my opinion. I mean, he'd have to be otherworldly in these next 10 games, don't you think? Again, this all sounds good in this little room right now, but we know how they've operated on West 56th Street with their own. Wasn't Jacoby Brissett called a top 20 quarterback at one point? Thought Carson Wentz could be resurrected after Philadelphia's like, Jacoby Brissett always thought he was a top 20 quarterback, right? What Jacoby's got certainly a swagger to him. (laughs) He's a fan of Jacoby Brissett, is that right? I was thinking about this yesterday, Jake. This is the first time in Jim Mercer's ownership that he has had serious questions about the three pillars of his franchise. Ursay always says, if you have head coach, GM, and quarterback figured out, you're golden. You're going to have plenty of opportunities to reach the levels that you want to. Right now, quarterback, GM, and head coach all have serious questions. I would argue in his ownership, he's never had all three of those at once. Never had questions in all three at one time? Right. Because when Pagano and Grigson had their rift, Andrew Luck was still here. Fair. I'm thinking in the early... So you go back to what, 97? Is that when he became full owner? I, I mean, that's the thing, right? So you had he might have had, what, one year of Bill Tobin? Is that right? But did you have... Was Manning... Manning was what, Manning wasn't here yet because Polian drafted... Polian was brought in and then, you know, Polian's first order of duty was who to select with the first pick in the 98 draft. So you had six months of it in 97 or whenever Ursay took over I mean, then. And then you had Polian and Manning. You obviously rode that duo for over a decade. 2011, you made a switch at GM. You made a switch at head coach, but you knew Andrew Luck was waiting in the 2012 draft. I think it's the first time that Ursay's ever faced this as an owner. So I think, it, again, it, it's new to us. It's new to the fan base. But I also think this is a very new time for Jim Ursay. I think the challenge for Jim Mersey now, and I think he is aware of this, so I'm not... Jim Mersey has has long talked about not wanting to be his father. And by that, I mean, you know, I think most people know what I mean by that. Bob Ursay was... Bob Ursay's history is a fascinating one because I don't know when the addiction really grabbed a hold of him and took over for Bob Ursay, but I would assume, not knowing, and assumptions can be dangerous, but I would assume it was probably, if it wasn't related to, it was increased by the passing of Jim Ursay's sister after a car accident. And that was, you know, what I mean, for any parent, that would be very traumatic, obviously. But Bob Ursay's unpredictability and tumultuous nature as an owner led to a complete instability of the franchise for the Colts primarily at the quarterback position quite frankly I mean Burt Jones was a good player you know he he was Burt Jones was a guy that was an MVP and then I 
Yeah, but after that, I mean, when you really start looking at it, you go back to from the time that they arrived here. I mean, a coaching or a quarterback carousel was the norm under the the Bob Ursay years, and I don't think that that's something that Jim Ursay probably tangibly thinks about, but Jim Mercer just, I think, wants to be careful to make sure that he doesn't fall into that same trap where all of a sudden you're getting, you know, Mike Pagel into Arch Schleister into Mark Herman into Gary Hogeboom into Blair Keel. And you're just, we talked about it yesterday. I mean, that is a, once you get into that trap, Kevin, it's a really hard one to get out of. And I think that so much of the instability or instability, the unpredictability, the yin and yang, the ups and downs of this franchise going back. 40 years ago was rooted and based upon an owner that was constantly trying new things at the quarterback position and reinventing the wheel every four weeks and bringing coaches and quarterbacks and and offensive schemes in and out, in and out, in and out, and everybody's head on a swivel. And Jim Mercer desperately doesn't want to be that guy, which is why I think he saw a the blueprint of a new veteran 40-year-old quarterback every two years and just went enough we're not doing this anymore but again why did he sign off on the chris ballard band-aid plan with quarterback for the last three or four years because i think that he thought that matt ryan was going to have a better trench in front of him in supporting cast and that matt ryan might have been Alexis with with 175,000 miles on it, but so long as everything in the car worked perfectly, it still was a really nice vehicle. And then it went out there and he was like, wait a minute, our line is broken. Our receivers are broken. And the things that I thought our infrastructure was going to deliver for me is not working. So that's the telltale that I need right now to know that it is time for that watershed moment to say enough. Continue the Colts conversation on the other side. Kevin and Query on a misty start to this Wednesday morning. Check out a couple callers hanging in there. JT, I know, wanted to talk Colts defense and I believe give you a tip for your trip to Barcelona. JT, good morning. Good morning. Um, I have a suggestion for Jake. You've got to do the flamenco dance uh, performance in Barcelona, Jake, when you're there. Forget about run with the bulls. Go with the flamenco dance. Very powerful. So you're saying uh, I need to witness this or I need to participate? Yes, you need to get you need to get tickets to go to a flamenco dance. Flamenco. Okay. And, uh, um, you know, our defense gave up nine points. Nine points last weekend. And we still lost the game. Number one. Number two, <laughs> I, I think that there's a spy in our locker room for Tennessee Titans, Jake. I think they knew that Matt Ryan couldn't throw the deep ball. And they all, the secondary just sat at the 10 to 20 intermediate zone line, and that's that's when we got picked off, that pick six in the first. It's like Matt Ryan just can't throw the deep ball. I don't know if it's his shoulder separation. And finally, I have one last thought, and that is our offensive line is going to be different from this point forward because – they're going to be running JT. And I think it's going to be a completely different uh, offensive uh, game plan. You've got JT and you've got very low expectations for Ellinger. I think this is going to be a great 10-game season. That's my thoughts. JT, appreciate it. 
Uh, vertical passing game, a huge issue with Matt Ryan, and I think it is still a question with Ellinger that he's got to prove. I think that was the biggest question coming out of Texas. And as far as the run game, I would think while Ellinger is new, I think his running element will help Jonathan Taylor. And I thought you had a few flashes out of the run game last week. Uh, look, Taylor is dynamic, and his vision was really good. Kevin, for a guy that hadn't been out there for a couple of games, Taylor was still able to do that signature, get to the line, and find a gap and go, which is his strength. 5.8 yards per carry in that game. But they're going to load the box pie, you would think, and he's going to have to have that vision. He's going to have to have a lot of pop vision, but I'll bet he gets a lot of carries. That run he's going to get option. more than 10, I'll tell you that. Run pass option going with Ellinger, able to make a play or two with his legs. All right, Dustin DePierre, I'll talk a little IU basketball. College basketball season is here. We're going to get into Purdue and Butler next week. Uh, we'll chat with the about the Hoosiers next here on Kevin and Corey. Quite the different preseason expectations in Bloomington than it has been in years past. Preseason ranked 13th, Mike Woodson's Hoosiers uh, first in the unofficial media poll. What looks like on paper... Bit of a down year in the Big Ten. I think ESPN had that stat. It was the first time since 77. Didn't have a Big Ten team preseason ranked in the top 10. To talk more about Mike Woodson's second season at the helm, Dustin Apirak covers Indiana athletics for the Bloomington Herald Times. Joins us. Dustin, just your initial impressions of where you've seen IU pegged here preseason-wise. Yeah, I mean, it, it It makes sense to me. I mean, I think there was starting to be a, a buildup of even more hype, and I, and I feel like there's been a leveling out of, of where it makes sense. And I, I think, uh, you know, I, I started to see uh, Indiana could be a dark horse Final Four, or, you know, maybe seven or eight. I, I thought, thir- you know, 13, um, I think it's what, 13 in the AP, and I think it's what, 14, 15 in the U- USA Today. Um, that makes sense to me. Uh, it's a potential Sweet 16 uh, potential Sweet 16 team, I think that's something that makes sense, but I, I don't know that they've got, um, I mean, uh, you know, obviously matchups or whatever, and, and a team that's really, you know, the 15th or 16th best team can end up in the Final Four, sure. Um, but but I think that makes sense. Obviously, they've got flaws. Obviously, they've got areas where they're simply not proven. Um, you know, if they're going to be a good shooting team, it's going to be from guys that we haven't, you know, we haven't seen. Either freshmen or guys who haven't shot that much or haven't made a lot of shots. You know, somebody like Tamar Bates, I think, can obviously become a lot better shooter than he was a year ago. So, um, you know, I don't think that's a, you know, I, I don't think he's, you know, um, just going to be held to that low baseline um, that, that he had last year. Um, so, but I, but I think obviously there's, you, you still go to the roster and say, okay, eh, I don't know about this. I don't know about that. This isn't proven. Um, you know, I'm going to have to wait to see this piece of it and see how much better it gets. So I think with all that considering, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and, but they have a chance to, you know, end up with an inflated ranking by virtue of the fact that, I, you know, again, I don't think that Big Ten is very good, as you mentioned. Um, or, or more to the point, I have no idea how good the Big Ten is because there's just so much to part of town. And, and there are teams that are, you know, built almost entirely on transfers, especially, you know, Ohio State, I think, only brings back Zed Key. And, and they're bringing in, like, four transfers to start and a whole bunch of freshmen. You know, even a team like Michigan has got a Hunter Dickinson that gives you kind of a baseline with a great player is, is losing four starters. Illinois is in a similar scenario. Um, so, you know, they could end up ranked higher if they win the Big Ten by a couple of games. Um, but I, I think that's where, where a lot of the pieces come in, or, or why they are where they are. And I think it makes makes sense for them to be in the 10 to 20 range. Dustin, I want to touch on something that you just mentioned there because it is I, probably the biggest burning question about Indiana. You know, I, I've talked to several people that have watched them, that have gone down there. 
that, that you know they they all say kind of the same thing. I get the same scouting report from everybody, and that is that they've got a lot of length this year. To use that buzzword, they're athletic. Jalen Hood Shafino apparently is as dynamic so far as build, but are they going to be able to shoot the ball? And I guess my question is. Are they athletic and versatile enough offensively that they can get by without consistent outside three-point shooting? Um, there's got to be the threat. I, I think that's the thing, especially you, – you, and, and you see that once you get into Big Ten play and, and the game slows down a little bit. I mean, they've got to be able to space the floor enough that you're not – you know, we, you've, you've just seen it this last these last couple of years that – um, I mean, basically, as long as I've been back covering this team since I returned in about 2018, uh, it usually takes about six, seven, eight games for everybody to realize, you know, all you got to do is pack the paint. Um, just put a bunch of bodies in there and, and dare Indiana to try to beat you outside, uh, and that'll work. And, and, and Indiana will get some buckets on you, you know, from transition, you know, Trace can just score. Uh, you know, even if he's facing one or two bodies, you know, frequently he, he can just get around guys and find a way to get buckets. Um, but you know, you'll you'll keep the rest of them from beating you. So there's got to be some shooting. I mean, I, I don't think they got to be able to make some. Um, and and I, but I think that's possible. I mean, I think um, you know they, they can get better. I, I don't think they have to be a top five, top three, three point shooting team to be good. Uh, if they're eighth or ninth and they're shooting 35 percent 36 percent where they finished last year they were at 33 if they're at 35 36 you know and they're hitting you know 230 you know 233 is a team for the season um that'd go a long way you know it's just like they, they don't have to be a great shooting team with all the other talent they have I, mean, I think one big difference with this team that you didn't have last year is you're going to have a lot of creators uh, a lot of guys that can beat you off the bounce where you really only had a couple last season if you know obviously you're still going to have Xavier Johnson you saw him really be able to get downhill last year and get a lot of work done with pick and roll with with, uh, with Jackson Davis that's a big big weapon if Hood Shafino is as good as advertised and he can shoot it that's a big deal if Johnson can also shoot closer to where he was shooting at the end of last year I mean, he ended up at 38% from three, 36-94. A lot of that, I think, came in the second half of the season. You know, you lose your best shooter in Stewart, but, I mean, I think there's a chance Miller cops significantly better. I mean, I don't know that he's a, you know, he shot 36% last year. If you get him to 38-39, that helps. But I think a guy like Bates being able to shoot the basketball is a really big deal. I I think that's one guy to really circle as far as as that is concerned. I mean, he's looked really good in in the, you know, limited amount of stuff we've been able to see this season, uh, both shooting it from outside and, you know, getting worked on off the dribble. If if he's a guy that's a three-level scorer um, and you're getting 20 minutes out of him, 25 minutes out of him, um, you know, I, th- I think that makes a difference. Just being able to put three guys on the floor that can conceivably shoot matters. If Fuchifino is a good three-point shooter, you know, that matters. And I think he is. Uh, you know, I-, I don't know if he's a great one, but I think he's a guy that can be high 30s. Um, so if-, if you put enough piece- pieces out there, they're at least, you know, reasonable, um, you know, uh, threats. Uh, you know, that makes a difference, and they can be a-, a much, much better team. You just don't want a position where you could just throw four or five bodies around the paint, and that's enough to beat out you that's that's the important thing is they just can't get in that position yeah i'm guessing i you'll see a lot of zone this season from teams just forcing them to show off whatever perimeter shooting might be there again dustin depirak is with us here um from the bloomington herald times dustin i think tamar bates would fall into the category as like 
X factor. If he takes a big jump, that can be huge for this team. I'm curious about a couple other guys that have been in the program for several years now and, and how you view their roles. Uh, one would be Trey Galloway, who I know has been banged up at times, and the other one would be a guy that I think has got a lot of potential, and that would be Jordan Geronimo. Yeah, no, I think um, you know with Galloway, obviously he had the uh, what was a groin surgery this offseason. I think he had a thumb injury too, if I'm not mistaken. But there was definitely the groin, um, and so I think that he's. I think you you know what you're going to get from him, him at least, like what his floor is. And, you know, that's a higher energy guy that's going to really defend, it's going to attack off the dribble, going to be able to finish, but it's going to pass the basketball. Um, and, you know, th- there's going to be value there. And so where does that fit exactly? I mean, I, I think, again, if Bates makes a leap, um, you know, then it's going to be hard for him to get minutes because, you know, Bates would be the more talented wing. I mean, there's there's a higher ceiling there. Um, and, you know, if Huchifino is going to play a lot of the two um, and, you know, you know, play along with Johnson, uh, you know, that's going to cut down his potential for minutes. So you might see Galloway play less, but I don't think you're going to see a different guy. I mean, I, I think you know what you're going to get from him at this point. And it's important. You know, it, again, it's a guy that can defend multiple positions, a guy that can really guard twos and threes and good ones. Um, you know, I mean, he did as good as anybody I saw, you know, um, guarding Jaden Ivey last season. So, I mean, like, he can take a premier, uh, you know, perimeter scorer. And, and there's not, there doesn't seem to be at this point one that stands out in the same way in the Big Ten uh, as did last year when there were several guys between him and you know Johnny Davis and uh, you know other other guys like that that Galloway had to guard. So I think he's still going to be a valuable part of the rotation um, just because you just know that you're going to get that. You know you're going to get smart play, good passing, you know uh, uh, the ability to attack off the dribble, you know high energy guy that gets after in transition, guy that really guards. Um, Geronimo, Geronimo is interesting. I think. Um, because it sounds like he made significant progress as far as being able to play the three. And I don't, I'm, I'm still waiting to see true proof on that. I mean, he looked a little bit better in the limited amount of stuff that we've been able to see between uh, Hoosier Hysteria and the Hoosier Hysterics event uh, that they had back in, um, what was it, August uh, at this point. Um, yeah, so that, that I think is really important for him to find a way to get a little bit more minutes there. I mean, he's, he's all, always had the ability to shoot from outside um, better than most guys his size. Uh, the issue has been, can he handle it out there? Um, because, I mean, he's had bad assistant t- to turning over ratios his first two seasons. Um, I think, what's he got last year? I mean, it was not a, it was not a good number at all. Um, but, so that's the thing, is, is, is can he handle it out there? Can he deal with defensive pressure if he's handing the ball on the perimeter? Um, so can you throw him out there, and can he defend out there? Obviously, I think he's been really effective as a power forward, uh, defending the types of guys you get there that can be a little bit inside and a little bit outside, but, but us maybe a smaller guard. Can he guard a 6'5", you know, wing? Um, you know, can he keep that kind of guy in front of him, keep him getting beat down off the dribble? Um, so I, I think you've seen in, in limited spurts, some improvement there. Um, you know, the, the, the players, we got to talk to the players a lot at media day in, in kind of round table settings where they didn't have to kind of run everything by, uh, you know, a, an Indiana SID and, and get some kind of candid thoughts. And, and, you know, they said, Hey, you know, we are seeing real improvement there. We, we do think he's a lot better at handling the basketball. Um, you know, we think he can play real, you know, real minutes of the three. Um, so I think that's a question because I think Ray Thompson is still going to play a lot. I mean, it, you know, I, I could, it's not, 
crazy to me to imagine Geronimo sort of usurping him as the power forward just because you just see so much length, so much athleticism there, and the ability to really rebound the basketball. As good as race does, it jumped Geronimo's better per minute. Um, so he, he's obviously going to matter, and it's just a question of can they steal some minutes from him at the three, and, and can he be trusted in those scenarios? Dustin Dobrak is our guest. He's on the Payless Stickers hotline. He is the Indiana Athletics beat writer for the Bloomington Herald Times and Indianapolis Star. Uh, Dustin, the local kid, C.J. Gunn, in terms of his contributions, is this a guy that is um, a, as soon as he steps on the floor, contributor for Indiana, or is he seen by Mike Woodson's staff more as a developed guy? I mean, I... I think they like him. I'll, I, I, my read is developed guy only because, you know, at, at Hoosier Hysteria, they basically ran two, um, you know, like Woodson obviously likes his first unit and his second unit. And, you know, Gunn and Banks were not part of either. Uh, basically, they were sort of playing against each other like they weren't starting out there. But I think they really like him. Uh, so, and I, I think, and the same goes for Caleb Banks. I think both of those guys, you know, maybe on a, on a team that had a little bit less depth might get, uh, you know, more immediate run. And, you know, I, I think first off, I mean, he's definitely stronger. I mean, obviously, if you, if you saw him play at all in high school, you know, he didn't have a ton. He wasn't running around with a ton of muscle. Uh, but he's got more. He's he's really been in the weight room, and I think he might have put on 15 pounds from what he told us. Um, but even just looking at him, he's he's got a lot more definition, so he looks a lot more game ready. Um, and, it's a question of, okay, if some of those other guys don't, um, you know, maybe he is a guy that can more shoot the ball immediately. I mean, he's a guy that can move and shoot, uh, you know, shoot, shoot, you know, off the bounce. Uh, but being a catch-and-shoot guy, can, you know, can go to the rim, can do a lot of the things, has been able to do a lot of things at the high school level that they want that they've needed at the college level. Now the question is, you know, how immediately does it translate? So I, I think that's a question. I, I, I don't think... I don't know that you'll see him, um, you know, I don't want to say an opening night rotation, but like when they play Xavier in the Gavit, which is the first, you know, really, you know, serious competition they get. Does, does you know, CJ Gunn play 15 minutes in that game? I don't think so, but I, I you know, I, I've been, you know, I, I've, I've seen crazier things, I guess, and I wouldn't be shocked if, if the other guys have a hard time shooting. I think that's a really the big thing. If, if you don't see a lot of shooting from a Jalen Hochefino or, uh, you know, or Tamar Bates, if those guys aren't better shooters, and if, and if you don't get improvement from Miller Cop, um, then you could see CJ Gunn work his way into that if he's farther along in the shooting piece uh, than those guys are. But you know that there's going to be value there for him long term as a shooter. Um, and he might be a development guy. I, I like I, I think you can trust that he's gonna be pretty good at some point. I don't know if it's gonna be immediate. Um, but I, I think he's gonna be a contributing guy at some point for Indiana. Dustin, I don't think anything official yet, but John Calipari certainly went, you know, pretty much there, agreed in principle, I believe was the phrase Calipari used um, at SEC Media Day about Indiana, Kentucky. Getting back on the schedule, I wanna say I saw twenty twenty five so we're still up and CJ Gunn would maybe be a senior in that game. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. What would be your best guess as, let's say it's a four-year agreement, would you guess, one on campus for each team and then maybe like a Yum Center in Louisville and a Gamebridge Fieldhouse in Indy sort of rotation? Yeah, well, I mean, I would think... I wouldn't be surprised if there's two in Indy because um, I, I think you know Kentucky had some interest in that at the time, um, and was I mean I, two I think, in Indy and still one in Bloomington. Yeah, well, well, Kentucky wasn't interested in that at the time. Kentucky was interested in playing two in Indy way back when. 
And, but like you got also got to remember then, you know, that was a time when uh, Kentucky was slowly working on, you know, prying Trey Lyles from Tom Crean's grasp. Um, so that was part of the reason why. Uh, I mean, just but, but just players in general that were in Indy um, was part of the reason why Cal Terry wanted to play there um, was was to get, you know, basically just some hooks in some Indianapolis guys. But I think, uh, at the bottom line, I think they'd be willing to do that because the question really is, is Louisville interested in letting Kentucky play a, home, play a game in Louisville? And I don't know if they are. Um, I mean, I think Freedom Hall is less ready for that. And I mean, I think U of L ultimately has to be okay with the idea of Kentucky playing at the UM Center. And I don't think they are. Um, I mean, this, you know, I, I end up on a, on a Louisville radio show every week. And basically from talking to those guys, it doesn't sound to me like Louisville would sign up for that. Um, so there needs to be third party, um, as far as I know, anyway, I mean, I, I don't know, like, everything that goes on with agreements down there or, or, you know, who has to be okay with what. But, I mean, that's Louisville's facility. And so if I'm Louisville, I wouldn't want Kentucky playing in my gym uh, without me there. Yeah, that makes so, sense. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know that uh, – I, I mean, I, I think, like, there's a sensibility to that, and, and it would be a good – you know, as far as the building is concerned, it would make sense for the game. Um, but, again, if, I, if I'm Louisville, I don't want Cal Perry anywhere near my place. Um, so I would say that they probably, um, there, there, there's a real chance for either Gainbridge or, you know, I mean, like, I, I don't know that that place can be a Lucas oil spot again. Um, cause I think back in the day, that's what they would have wanted, you know, is, is that, that, that's what Calipari would have pushed for is that, Hey, like let's play Lucas oil. Cause his point was that's where they play final fours now is, is, you know, big, uh, closed roof football stadiums. Let's do one there. Um, so I wouldn't be shocked to see it twice in Indy, um, and then campus sites the other two. That would be that would be my thought. Interesting. And that was what was on the table for, uh, for you know Fred Glass's offer back in 2012 that Calipari didn't want. So things have obviously changed uh, somehow uh, since then. Dustin, if he didn't have an incredibly favorable for him buyout, how hot would Tom Allen's seat be right now, and is it warm at all? I'm sure. It, I, I'm sure it's got to be warm. Um, I don't think it's. You know, would he be fired at the end of this year? I mean, like you know, it. it, it like obviously, you, you you imagine the contract in a whole bunch of different ways. If he didn't, if he was done at the end of this year, if he only had one on the table, if, if he only had one year left, uh, then he'd probably be out. Um, you know, you stack two bad years in a row like this, and, and if you were in a position where you have to determine if he's getting an extension, um, then he'd probably be moving on. You know, if if you imagine him two years further in his contract right now, I mean, that's kind of more of a toss-up question. Um, I, I I don't know. I don't have a great read on it right now, um, as as far as what that would be, what the hypothetical of that is. But the non-hypothetical point is he's still got $25 million remaining, and I just cannot see uh, Indiana pulling that move for a football coach. I just cannot see them getting them. They have boosters that care that much? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. But here's the thing, though. There's a lot of money even for a booster. I mean, they, they, they got $10 million for Archie. And I guess the one piece of it is, too, I mean, it does get mitigated. So whoever they got to, to pay for Archie's buyout, you know, like that's getting mitigated by him and by his contract at Rhode Island. I mean, you had to pay for one full year, and you had to presume one full year. I, I think that's the thing is that, that these guys can stay away for one year um, before you know somebody comes calling them and they're willing to get back in it. They're usually willing to take their one year off and, and take their buyout money and you know go do TV and that's not a, that doesn't mitigate all that much. Um, but man, twenty five million and and like you're still you know it's, you're on the hook at least for four point seven of that next year. 
on top of whatever you're going to pay a new coach. So it's like when you're looking at like $8 million worth of Indiana football coach, you know, that's how much you're paying on your salary. That's a lot. So, you know, bottom line, obviously things aren't going in a good direction and I'm sure nobody's happy about it. So and I'm sure Scott Dolson isn't happy about it. Um, you know, obviously again, like Allen has goodwill both from winning in 2019 and 20 and the fact that everybody likes him. Um, so, you know, that creates some level of buffer. So there's a buyout, but obviously things are not trending well at all. You know, the, the thing about, that situation let me ask you this dustin is there light though at the end of the tunnel in terms of the direction and the trajectory of indiana football like aside from the buyout would you look at it and say yeah but they and i don't know maybe the answer to this is yes you know they have great recruits coming in or they have this or that or you know is there reason for optimism there's some but there's also there are counters you know, I, I guess like the, you know, you certainly look at the fact that they were they were able to uh, maintain what's this? Uh, maintain the um, the twenty twenty two maintain the twenty twenty two recruiting class. Basically, like a lot of those guys, they had they had some losses, but they were still it was still the highest ranked class um, in in um, basically in the recruiting service era for for Indiana, and they were able to keep most of those guys. You know, and, and some of them have been part of the rotation now, uh, but some of them, you know, that, that you're expecting in the future. You know, uh, Taiwan Mullen's brother, Travell, um, you know, James Mons, you know, basically a bunch of these secondary guys. You've know, obviously seen Jalen Lucas come in and get some, you know, playing time right away and have the kickoff return for the touchdown, you know, uh, the other day. And, uh, you know, against... Um, against Rutgers, you have guys like a Mark Cooper that they feel pretty good about. Um, you know, there's a lot of guys that you can say, well, maybe this guy gets better and maybe that guy gets better. And, and maybe you see, you know, this, this, you know, these people improve and, you know, all of a sudden they're playing Khalil Benson and Josh Sales on the right side of the offensive line. You maybe those guys end up being anchors for your line and maybe that goes someplace. There's a lot of maybes of that. There's not a lot of, okay, definitely when this group comes together, you know, how, how can it fail? Um, I, I think that's a lot of the pieces to it is, you know, like you can talk yourself into thinking it's going to get better, but you can also talk yourself thinking in, into not. And and I think the other issue is, you know, they were able to put a lot of that class, that 22, 2022 class together, you know, coming off of six and two in an outback bowl and, and being, in the, you know, likely being in the top 25. And, and then they were able to hold it together when things got bad. As I've said a, a lot of times, like it's, really hard to say no to Tom Allen once you've promised him something. It's really hard to go back on a promise to Tom Allen. It's a lot easier not to make a promise to Tom Allen in the first place. Um, and so, you know, this year's class was always going to be smaller, um, but it's not very big at all. I think they've got maybe 10 or 11, and all of those guys are three stars, and none of them are sort of in that higher echelon of three stars as far as I can tell. Uh, but they're not any four stars, you know, where you had at least a couple of those spring sprinkled throughout the last couple classes. Um, you you got to wonder, okay, you know, when he's taken two and 10 and, you know, potentially three and nine, uh, on, on the road, um, you know, is, is that recruiting going to dry up? You know, when he's not saying, Hey, look at the trajectory we're on, you know, Indiana is going someplace. You're going to be part of something special when it's, you know, we, we, we need your faith because we need you to trust that we're going to be better than three and nine. You know, that makes it a lot harder to, uh, to get players. So, I mean, like you can't imagine them getting better as some of this, this, you know, uh, freshman group, you know, moves in and becomes more of a part of the depth chart, you know, but you know, the classes that are coming on the horizon, you know, as he's dragging this record around, uh, you got to presume that, that there's going to be fall off there. Again, Dustin Apirak, the Bloomington Herald Times. It is a off week for Indiana and Purdue. 
I'm sure coaches probably don't love seeing that. It's been an off week for Indiana for a month, Kevin. uh, On (laughs) Halloween weekend, uh, probably not ideal for uh, those those coaches. But uh, back in action coming up. uh, Is it Penn State out of the bye? Yes, yes, it's Penn State out of the bye. Penn State out of the bye. Then at Ohio State, at Michigan State in the bucket. Uh, Dustin, as always, man, thank you. Yep, absolutely. Thanks for having me. That's Dustin Apirak right there on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Jake, we've got six undefeateds in college football. Can you take a stab at them? Six undefeateds in college football would be Georgia. Give him a ding, Mark. Oh, sure. TCU. Ohio State. I think you're going to get all six. Now's where it gets interesting, right? Tennessee. If you got TCU and Tennessee, I think you're going to get them all. There's, there's what conference other than the the obvious here that I'm I haven't named yet. I I, I cannot give any hints. It, I've turned from impressed to embarrassed. If you oh Michigan, how many is that? You've got one left. I'm going to go with Tiger Rag, baby. The Tigers of Clemson. Are you saving that one? Of course. <laughs> I was like, wait, is he not going to name course. his favorite team? You I'm said off week for the Tigers? Yeah, they've got a bye, and then they go to Notre Dame. I'm worried about that Notre Dame game. I, I'd be more worried about a Halloween bye week. Halloween you on know, college campuses, that's dangerous. I'll tell you another one that, not that anybody cares about Clemson football, but they end the year in a rival game at South Carolina. And that one also is a little tricky. South Carolina just cracked the top 25. Yeah, I was going to say, that's a little tricky. Shane Beamer, is that Frank Beamer's I son? That's, uh, I believe that's correct, yes. But, you know, that that's a little... And then you got the ACC title game. and it, I think it's very safe to say that whoever the fourth seed is in the college football playoff, it, again, is probably... There's a huge drop-off seemingly out of the top three. I, I think Tennessee's really good. I was going to say, so you would throw Tennessee in the top three with Georgia, uh, Tennessee, and Ohio or State? Tennessee or Georgia. You know, in other words, coin flip: Tennessee, Georgia, right? And then Ohio State, and Alabama's probably still in the mix. And I just think a Clemson, a TCU. I don't want to. I haven't watched a lot of TCU, but TCU, Michigan, and Clemson to me are well a tier below Tennessee, Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State. I mean, you got to think the SEC, two of the three, right? Alabama, Georgia, and Tennessee will yeah, get in. Yeah, it's you and then think. Ohio State. I or think it'd Michigan. be cool. Listen, I and think it'd be cool to see Tennessee get in. Clemson will be the fourth one. Tennessee still goes to Georgia. That's going to be awkward. Of like, if Tennessee loses to Georgia, but then what if Alabama beats Georgia in the SEC title game? Listen, Tennessee, Does that trump the Tennessee, Tennessee could well be Kevin, and I think they're good. I think they're really good. But Tennessee could well be. Do you remember the first year of this format where Mississippi State was number one and they were like eight? No, it was Dak Prescott's year. And then they lost, and you know, all of a sudden you're like, what happened to them? There's always that team that's hanging around, and then there's always a all hell breaks loose Saturday where a bunch yeah, of teams oh yeah. lose and somebody just completely loses their footing. And, and that could be Tennessee. The I, second week of November or something like that, yeah. you feel like it always happens. So, yeah, six and, undefeated. And no question Clemson could be a victim in that, too. I mean, there are still a couple of games that Clemson could stub their toe 100%. Get off week for Indiana-Purdue-Notre Dame will travel to Syracuse.
and take on the orange. All right, let's do a morning check down before we hit a pop quiz. The Morning Checkdown, brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. By the way, speaking of Ball State Sports, I'm trying to look at the Ball State schedule. But it's printed in black and I can't read it. Hang on. Chirp, chirp, Bowling Green, Toledo. At Kent State. The Flashes. That's right. You got time to go to the eye doctor before you leave? Gosh, you were really Mark, locked into the this. computer there. No, no. We're going to get smarty pants over here. Okay? <laughs> this is printed with black type on red. Go ahead and give a quick glance at that. Ball State right there. Tell me what it says, Mark. Aren't we up against it? Well, boy, Mark just rattled that off like it was no big deal. Well, he those are the wrong dates. We'll upgrade an eyesight. You didn't ask for the dates. You said read it. I read the last three opponents. Tonight, it'll be the Pacers in Chicago. Our coverage begins at 7.30. It's an 8 o'clock tip against the Bulls. Chicago's 2-2 on the year. They beat the Heat and Celtics. Lost to the Wizards and Cavs. DeMar DeRozan, boy, he uh, hit some big shots against the Pacers last year. He did. As a matter of fact, the... Um, I can't remember if it was... I think it was Rick Carlisle that said that the shot that DeMar DeRozan hit last year to defeat Indiana... No, Chad Buchanan told yeah, us that. at the golf outing. The Chad one-legger on us that. New Year's the, Eve. That was the one where they said, you know what? It's time to start looking in another direction. That was their Sam Ellinger is going to start moment. Seven and a half point underdogs. The Pacers will see if Miles Turner gives it a go. Speaking... Of the Colts, they're back to practice today. Again, Sam Ellinger, his insertion as a starting quarterback brings a little bit of a different look playbook-wise. Try to use some of his mobility as a strength. Here was offense coordinator Marcus Brady on that yesterday. Yes, it's going to be different. It's not the same. You know, you know, Matt and um, Sam are two di- different types of quarterbacks. But for the most part, it's not going to change too much for the skill guys and our O-line up front. You know, we'll have some nuances that put Sam in good positions to, you know, to succeed, make plays, and, you know, maybe a little bit more, you know, naked game and um, get him outside the pocket in, in that that aspect, you know, hopefully get the, you know, the run game rolling. Yeah. Mark didn't laugh that time at naked. The maturation for Mark from 7 o'clock well, to 9 I'm, o'clock I'm is patting myself on the back for reading astonishing. That, that Ball State schedule. I'd like to have Kevin do it. Stand right here and read that. Let's have Kevin come over in the moment of truth. Riveting here. radio. Now, <laughs> right here. And now you got to just, you don't know, not the bottom three, just stand right there to read the Ball State schedule for me. At Toledo, at Toledo, Ohio, and at Miami of Ohio. Well, that's what he just said. Who do they have this week? From right here. Stand right there. Well, you literally got up and you got like right up here. Yeah, I mean, it's. It's, it's not the best color scheme. Yeah, it's, it it's black type on dark red. It's not impossible. Now, did you print that? The other thing too is I'm far taller than you guys, so oh, if I get down far here, taller, you got if, me by an inch. If I get down here in Mark's range, the lighting is perfect. Oh yeah, Jake. Well, you did get down there. You were an inch from the wall. <laughs> I am now. Jake to Barcelona. Mark and I right above it, perfectly clear. Mark and I to some local Indianapolis pubs here about ten o two to celebrate that. Uh, <laughs> pop quiz coming up next. Three one seven two three nine ten seventy. Jiffy Lou Boyle change up for grabs. 
Have you studied? Can you handle the pressure? Sharpen your pencils. It's time for the Pop Quiz with Kevin and Query. Brought to you by Jiffy Lube, Indiana's favorite oil change since 1985. I feel this way with a lot of baseball questions that Scotty throws on the quiz of like, man, I haven't heard that name in so long. The answer to number two is that. Pulling up the pop quiz right now. Oh, yeah, for sure. Good player, too, right? Yeah, uh huh. Certainly. A little variety today from Scotty. I like that. Nothing like two hockey questions to just say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, have a good Wednesday. That's about reminiscent of the weather outside right now. Boy, it is not pretty outside. How's it look uh, overseas? Uh, 75 and sunny every day. Ooh, nice. Is that expected? You know, I, I I actually have no idea. Um, we went to London a couple of Octobers ago. It it was like this one of the days. I remember game day at Wembley was nice though. Are you going to any sporting venues? Isn't the Barcelona was it Camp? Uh, I'll, I'll pronounce it wrong. Like Camp New or Camp Nove? The Barcelona, the soccer team, football club, football. Yes, uh, they have a match i believe on sunday night but sunday morning is when we're flying to florence mm. so probably will not make it so we'll not be viewing the pitch in person that that is correct i hear that stadium's incredible yeah the, somebody said to tour the stadium just regardless is that was that their olympic stadium when they had it that's a good question one would think it has to be right that was 30 years ago if you can believe that Playing Valencia, that that would be a good game. That's the Valencia is in orange juice, right? I have no idea. Casey goes. I can't is believe it? Kevin said he would put Nick know. Foles it's in instead of, of Sam Ellinger. I, I don't think I ever said that. I, I've I've always been team young backup quarterback. I don't need to see Foles. I think guys in the locker room are probably like, wait, we're going to go to a guy that's never thrown a pass. You think? You think if Nick Foles. Uh, when the Pacers were playing in the in the playoffs in Jeff Foster's rookie year, they were in Milwaukee in the first or second round. And at about 11 o'clock at night, I went into a hot dog place in downtown Milwaukee that was 24 hours, like a diner. And Jeff Foster was sitting at the counter. And I said, <laughs> wait a minute, like don't, don't you guys have like a bed check? And he goes, dude, let's be honest. If I'm not there, they're going to notice. Because he was not on the active roster. We kind of had a laugh over it. If Nick Foles... Didn't make bed check. Would they notice? Well, he's the backup on Sunday. Now that's 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 Matt Ryan, Jake. Matt Ryan's QB three. <laughs> Matt Ryan. They're like Matt Ryan is in Atlanta. Matt Ryan probably could stop at Bucky's on the way down to Atlanta to go home. Seriously, spend all day there, right? You know, you know what Bucky's would say. We have Matt Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what they'd say. All right, who do we have for the pop I quiz? I cannot believe the 24-hour swing on that quote versus, and he's benched. Man. The NFL, Not man. for long, baby. All Not right, for yeah, long. who do we have, Mark? Just pick somebody. Jim. Jim. Ursay? Hey, this is Jim. <laughs> might be. Hi, Jim, Jim. How are you this morning? Uh, living a Miller life. I like that. <laughs> Can't beat that. Archie Miller coaching. Jim, you've Island. called the program before, right? 
No, sir. I, I listen to it all the time. Really? Now, Jim, you sound like a fun guy. Thank uh, you, Jim, for are listening. You, are you native to Indianapolis? Yes, sir. Uh, Whiteland. Whiteland, okay. And so were you a Whiteland warrior? Yes, sir. 77. Do they okay. still have the go-kart place down there? Yes. Never played Hickory Stick Golf Course, Jim? Oh, yeah. Love it. That's where our regional was in high school. Jim, are you a retired guy? Yes. Okay, and so what is, just out of curiosity, what's the day consist of for you? You listen to the program, and then what's the rest of the day? And in retired Jim's life, the day's filled by what? I get drunk early, so I have to worry about it later. Okay, well, there you go. Might as well start early, right? All right, well. We do have a lot of liquor ads, so we do appreciate it. Jim, do you want to, would you like to join my PBR party? <laughs> Miller Lite. <laughs> okay, well. How about Miller High Life? That's the champagne of beers. Yeah, that's, I can handle it. <laughs> okay. All well, right, Jim. This should be interesting, Jim. Would you Good like luck. for me or for Kevin to lead you off with question number one, Jim? You can go ahead and start. Okay, thanks, Jim. I need uh, a lot of help. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll see what I can do. Uh, qu- the Astros and Phillies open the World Series Friday night. Who holds the edge between the Astros and the Phillies? I believe it's the Phillies. Okay. Nice. All right. Number two, Jim. Speaking of the Strohs, on this day in 2005, the Houston Astros lost game four of the World Series 1-0 to the White Sox, giving Chicago a 4-0 series sweep and snapping the Sox 88-year championship drought. Who was the MVP of the 2005 World Series? Jermaine Dye, Paul Canerco, Joe Creedy, or Mark Burley? I'll try Creedy. You know, maybe, some people maybe, maybe in the, another guess there's a blue one. collar job some people have. They work at a tool and blank shop. Uh, have the answers again. Uh, Jermaine Die, Paul Canerco, yeah. or Mark Burley. Die. Okay. Uh, question number three. I'm so reluctant by Jim in saying that. Three NBA players have scored 30 or more points in each of their first three games this season. Which of the following, who has a very short first name, has not scored 30 or more points in his first game this season. Donovan Mitchell, Steph Curry, Luka Doncic, or John Morant? Luka Doncic. You know the thing about, uh, I love about Luka Doncic, Jake? What's that? He just looks like he's a dude that grabs a couple donuts <laughs> at the hotel breakfast before he heads out for shooting. Luka Doncic likes Miller Lite. Yes. He likes beer, and he likes donuts, and he would like Jim. All right, Jim, number four. Um... There are instances where teams in different sports have the same team nickname, for example. The New York Giants in the NFL and the San Francisco Giants in Major League Baseball. Of the following, which nickname is not currently shared by multiple teams in the four major American sports leagues? The Jets, the Rangers, the Oilers, or the Kings? I'd say Jets. What about active, like, you remember that game, one of the great Monday Night Football games in the Astrodome when Earl Campbell ran all over the Dolphins? You remember that, Jim? Uh, vaguely. <laughs> you remember who Earl Campbell played for? Uh, Dallas or Houston or something like that. <laughs> okay. Uh, question five. Phil Kessel of the Vegas Golden Knights set the NHL's Ironman record last night by playing in his 990th straight game, breaking the record set by the Flyers' Keith Yondel last season. 
Kessel also reached another plateau last night. What other mark did he reach? If you get this correct, I will personally blow off my entire trip to Barcelona to drive down to Whiteland and buy you a case of Miller Lite within the next hour. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. Shit. 1,200 Lock games in, played, 1,000 career points, 400 career goals, or 500 career penalty minutes. No guesses on this one, huh? Just A, B, C, or D, I guess. Jim, you are absolutely my Uh, favorite participant in the pop quiz, and I've been doing this show for almost a year. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Jim, it's the giggle. I love the giggle. Jim, we were talking earlier in the show about a dinner on Saturday night with Jim Irsay, Daniel Snyder, Carson Wentz, and Matt Ryan. I think we should throw Jim in that dinner. That'd be awesome. Watching off the sixth spot at that table. Are you a bottle, can, or draft beer when it comes to Miller Lite guy, Jim? I'm a 16-ouncer can. (laughs) Bud Light or Coors Light? If you had to go Bud or Coors and not drink Miller, what do you go with? Uh, Coors. Yeah, fair. I'm with you on that one. Well, they're the same company now. All right, let's see how Jim did. Um, honestly, Jim just staying in there for all five questions was probably a win. <laughs> Who holds the edge between the Astros and Phillies in previous playoff series? Uh, it is the Phillies. Jim was correct. And proud. He was also correct for question number two, which was Jermaine Tulandai. Yes! Now, things got a little bit bumpy for question number three. The guy with the short first name, Luka Doncic does have a short first name, but so too does Ja Morant. Lucas, right? Jim said Lucas. You don't get to come back tomorrow. Question you don't four. even get a lousy copy of our home. Earl game. Campbell was indeed Houston, and he's from Texas. He's the Tyler Rose, but he played for the Oilers, which, of course, there is no Oilers anymore in the NFL. 400 career goals was the answer for question number five. So, you know, again, looking ahead to that dinner on Saturday night, if Jim Mercer says Alex Pierce, then Jim the caller can chime in with <laughs> Lucas Doncic. That's right. Four, four Alex Pierce. <laughs> Okay. This one from Mr. Gilmore. <laughs> it never does. Get <laughs> old, old man. Uh, Michael just tweeted at me. He is very alarmed, Jake, about the Shaquille Leonard like tweet that we talked about earlier in the show. Again, this is Shaquille Leonard liking a tweet about his name. Uh, you know, if the Colts are going to trade somebody, they should trade these guys or look into it. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. That is simply Shaquille Leonard taking receipts, telling everyone out there he sees everything. It does not mean for one second that Shaquille Leonard wants out of Indianapolis. Trust me, I have seen him like many tweets of mine or tweets that have been tagged of me in the you know back in the day. And that's how Shaquille Leonard rolls on social media. Uh, this is, by the way, a good question from David. Which sixth round? Uh, quarterback will Sam Ellinger be? Curtis Painter, who sucked. Garden Minshew, that's his words, not mine. Uh, Garden Minshew, who's serviceable. Matt Hasselbeck, pretty good. Or Tom Brady, goat. Man, I think if you could get him somewhere between Curtis Painter and Gardner Minshew, you'd be happy, right? Minshew's actually decent. I like watching Minshew play. Yeah. Think about how many six-round picks there have been that aren't Tom Brady that we never talk about. Of course. Spurgeon win. I mean, yeah, just in that year's draft, and not to mention all of them since. All right, we'll get a rundown on Jake's trip here to round things out. Kevin and Corey, one final time. I always like this song. 
And he um, usually meant Christy Brinkley wasn't too far behind. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Any sentiment here, Mark, for Jake's upcoming vacation? Might be a little bit. Jake, remind us again. Off to Chicago and then Barcelona. Uh, Chicago, then Barcelona. We'll be in Barcelona tonight, I guess you'd say, which is technically tomorrow there, um, for four days, and then Sunday flying to Florence, Italy, because I want to see David. And the the gallery where David is displayed is closed on Mondays and Tuesdays. So, <laughs> so I've Sounds got like a local coffee shop. Like I have no margin for error. Our flight lands at like twelve in Florence, and our tickets to see David are for I think two thirty or three. So I'm like, man, I hope there's not a long line for customs. Um, right? I don't even know how that works. To be honest with you, if you go through it ahead of time or whatnot, um, and then back uh, through Barcelona and back here, I'll be back in Indy a week from today but then back on the show on thursday now this was i I, people have asked me i kind of forget this was a 50th birthday present or this was just a i guess what what was the basis for this trip yeah i mean because i'm 50 yeah um and there was a an unbelievable fair that popped up basically so very good reasons lots of carousels and merry-go-rounds or what's that you said there's a a fantastic fair that popped up Oh, Mark. <laughs> what? That's not bad, All actually, Dykton. That's not bad. You thought it was that good? <laughs> you got to see this circus that they got coming. <laughs> thing is, I could We're going to ride them. <laughs> now, have yeah. you scouted out, I assume, among other things, or arguably atop the list would be just Barcelona graveyards? I have, actually. Um, Salvador Dali is buried in the area. I don't know if we'll, if I'll make it to that. Um, there's a Picasso museum that I definitely want to see. I'm not sure if Picasso might be in the area as well. Um, and then, you know, there's all kinds of history in Florence as well. I guess the big thing actually, um, in, in scouting out Barcelona, the two people that I sought out, quite frankly, were Alex Polo because he lives in the area. And Oriel Servia. Oh, and, really? And Oriel Servia was like, look, man, the thing to do is just to get the like the pass on the – they have a bus, like a tour bus you can hop on and off, and it's like a two-day ticket. And I thought he was joking with me. And then I asked other people, and they're like, no, that is absolutely the thing to do. Kravitz has been to Barcelona a couple times, too, and I talked to Kravitz last night, and he said it's cool. So I definitely am looking forward to it. Well, safe travels. Enjoy. That's an awesome, I, awesome I had no idea when the flight was booked – absolutely zero idea that that was going to happen when such a shakeup would be taking place you just don't want to see jim ursay versus daniel snyder at halftime this that's right by the way one other uh note because i'm not going to be here on halloween but i wanted to point it out uh michael who is a listener of the show on halloween i will not be here on halloween so but i want to point out because michael had had sent me this the other day um there are still days between now and Halloween, and life is all about one day at a time, especially for Michael. But on Halloween, he will be celebrating two years of sobriety and has worked very hard for that. And so I wanted to point that out and tell him to keep that up. Michael, very congrats. Cool. That's awesome. One day at a time. Are you a Halloween fan? When I was a kid, I loved it. I've never really understood it as an adult. <laughs> I like the decorations for it. It's cool. 
Mark, we got to dress up on Monday, right? Yeah, I got to figure something out. <laughs> I think we did that last year. I'm trying to think. Was it you and I last year, Mark, on Halloween? Was it? I don't remember. That's probably right because I feel like we, yeah, I feel like it was. I know you came in with like a turkey head, but I think you were bemoaning like, well, the terrible thing yeah, a week yeah, away. Yeah, that was for Thanksgiving. No, the we, turkey we did, head was fun. I remember we that. We did take out the Halloween decorations a couple weeks ago, and I found the turkey hat, so it'll, it'll make another appearance coming up here in about well, I guess about a month. All right, Colts back to practice today. Pacers and Bulls, seven thirty. Our coverage begins tonight. We'll recap all of that tomorrow. Get a little Washington perspective on things. Jake, safe travels. Thank you. See you guys. Talk to you tomorrow.